Hello. You have found yourself drifting through a world of mystery, beset on all sides by the disreputable and the despised. I am Jeremy Phillips, and this is Cinema Limbo, the home for movies neglected by the masses and loved by the few. Tonight's screening is Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, the 1987 comic book adventure starring Christopher Reeve. Joining me for this symposium is my good friend Nick Drew, and you join us in my palatial home on a minor bus route in South London. Now, Nick, yes. I asked you to watch this movie mm-hmm. because I know that you're a big fan of Superman. I am, yes, since I was a, since I was a kid. Um, my no- I mean, my knowledge of Superman is really only from the movies. I've never read any Superman comic books. Mm. Um, nothing against comic books in particular. It's just not something I've found interested in. But I have seen all the movies. As, as you can see here, I own the, the <laughs> Blu-ray box set of all the Superman movies. And um, I think they're really enjoyable. But Superman 4 is quite an unusual case. It, it, well, in terms of Superman films, yes, it is the, the Nadir. I mean, literally, as well. Um, it's, it, it is unusual. I, I hadn't really seen it uh, until you uh, requested you, that we... You'd never seen it at all or all the way I'd through? Seen, I'd seen bits of it, and I'd had uh, positive memories of it as a kid, seeing the bits where he fought Nuclear Man. That, that's the, the, the bit that I remember. And also discussing Superman as kids as though it was... Um, the news? Hmm? The news? Oh, well, we would discuss <laughs> Superman's powers as though it was a real person. It's like, oh... Oh, right. Like, oh, uh, like, su- the bit where Superman pushed the moon and then he caused... And, and it, it, it was as though that, that was a literal thing, almost. Um, I think that's just the way... If, I mean, how old were you? Don't, oh, don't say 15. Seven, six, oh, right. seven or eight or something. I think, that's, I think that's kind of how you see the world at that age. It's, mm. it's hard to distinguish fantasy and reality. Uh, well, I think we knew it wasn't real. I think it was just the way we would discuss it. Like... Um, when we're discussing the relative merits of footballers or, or, or it's oh, like top trumps almost that where you sort of say yeah but Superman can push the moon and, and, and it's like well it doesn't really matter because it's not real but at the same time you, especially as a kid you sort of gravitate to the, the characters that are the, the strongest or um, especially physically the strongest you see a lot of superheroes there yeah um, character like the Hulk has a sort of popular appeal just because he's, he's the strongest one there is um, and yet his films are uniformly unsuccessful. Oh, yes. <laughs> Financially unsuccessful. Financially, yeah. Actually, yeah. I, I, I thought the first, this is maybe a discussion for another day. Yeah. I thought the Ang Lee film was a long mistake. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I think I... Because I've um, recommended that one. Yes. yes. We've, we've, we've mentioned that before. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, I've taken note of it. Oh, okay. We'll talk about that. But the, the second one with Edward Morton, I actually really enjoyed. Oh, really? Because I did, I did not like that, and I, I remember being quite annoyed with that film yeah. and, and the the lead up to it. All of the decisions that Marvel were making in regards to that film seemed wrong to me, and seemed sort of mis- a bit misguided. Making it more conventional, do you think? Yeah, and making it more grounded and. Um, Making grittier, there was a sense of when I saw the new character design, he was, he was, dark, he was more olive skinned. He was, le- he was more kind more of... Mediterranean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, yeah, he was sort of a darker shade of green. Yeah, the, the whole thing was toned down, and it was um, very um, murky and 
conventional, whereas at the very least the Ang Lee one was this um, bizarre... Uh, it was very ambitious in yeah. it being very stylized. Yes, it was almost overly stylized. Yeah, yeah. I think, that was, its, I think that, that was the thing that I had mm. a problem with, like panning across from one panel to the next, like in the scene transitions yeah. as though it was a comic book. It felt as though Ang Lee had never seen a comic book movie before and realised that you don't have to do it like that. Well, I've heard people say that, that he was sort of taking it too literally with that approach. But I remember appreciating that as, uh, at the time because no one else had really done that. And that he was, at the, and at the time there was this uh, uh, will for comic book movies to have a, a greater and greater fidelity to the source material because for the longest time they haven't. And it was interesting to see someone attempt something that, at least on those sort of superficial terms, had uh, relevance to the original material. It was a thing, basically, that nobody else had done in regards mm. to just filming in general, actually, that, that, that degree of digital editing going on. I, think. I can yeah. see it being a bit obnoxious now. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, I should give it another go. Well, it does turn up on ITV2 an awful lot. That is true. I, I catch bits of it, but I'd like to get a proper Blu-ray copy, sit down with it from beginning to end, see if it holds up. Unfortunately, it also has Nick Nolte in it, who is now yes. unintelligible. Yeah, yeah, and I really like Nick Nolte, and it. it's, it's really I, bizarre. He, he was great when he was younger, and I could understand a word he said. Anyway, Superman 4. Yes. For the benefit of the listener, this comes at the end of Christopher Reeve's run mm. as Superman. He'd had mm-hmm. three movies with the Sal Kynes, father yes. and son producing team. Mm-hmm. Um, the original Superman, directed by Richard Donner, yep. is, I think, a masterpiece. It's very good. Pro- possibly the best comic book movie ever made. Pro- almost mm. certainly the best superhero movie ever made. I think it has uh, one of the best scenes ever in film. And I which, don't. Which is, which and I, uh, well, I, I think that every time. I, I watch it, and I don't even mean that as a sort of subjective, as a sort of coming from a personal thing. It just seems that it, should, it belongs up there. And it, all it is, it's it's just it's the helicopter scene. Oh, right. Yes. But it's it's the bit where um, it, 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 <laughs> where Lois is dangling. You know, the helicopter's on the precipice of the, the tall building, and Clark Kent sees her. He then he transforms into Superman. Um, flies up. He, he she falls down. He ca- he catches her. They have the you know uh, I've got you. Who's got you thing. Yeah. But then the really good bit <laughs> is even when I watch it now, it still get, gets me. Is it's not enough that he just captures her, but then the um, the ho- the helicopter falls, and then he flies up, and then as he captures as he catches the helicopter, the music kicks in again, and everyone applauds. And it's this incredibly uh, sort of even, <laughs> joyful. Even the other characters in the film are really impressed. Yes, every and it's every. There's a sort of shared kind of communal aspect mm-hmm. to it with the crowd, but also the fact that it's going one step beyond conventional heroism. He's not yes. just going to save the. He's not just going to save the woman who falls off the. He's, he's, he's going to save, to save everything. Yeah, and that's really still very impactful. I think that actually that that ends with. Just a very brief moment that really sums up my feelings on the character is mm. that at the very end he puts Lois back on the building yeah. and puts the wreckage of the helicopter down. And Lois says, Who are you? Mm. And he just says, A friend. Yes. And flies away. And I thought, that is exactly what the character should be. He's just someone who is there to help when yes. he's needed. 
And they and they were conscious of that. I think when when they were making it, at least yeah. uh, Christopher Reeve, well, that was his interpretation of what the character should be, because the, the character's gone under dif- different, um, slightly different character uh, personality traits and uh, interpretations of. Well, in the in the comics, I'm not a, not a huge comics expert, but my understanding is when he started, or at least in the 40s, 50s, so on, he was more of a stern authoritarian figure where he was like now now you know he, 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 oh, he yes. was more and that's where a lot of the, the super dickery stuff comes from yes. coupled with the fact that especially at the time a lot of comic book covers would be there to attract people's um, attention and, or to be eye catching and the way you would do that is to have someone behave out of character so frequently it would be Superman just being horrible <laughs> to Jimmy Olsen or someone my, my favourite one was um one where he's apparently adopted Jimmy and Jimmy is giving him a dressing gown for Father's Day and Superman is setting it on fire with his laser vision. <laughs> but my, my absolute favourite yes. is Superman dressed in a Native American headdress officiating mm. Jimmy's wedding to a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> the gorilla who's wearing yeah. a veil. That, and that's all great. Uh, and I, th- I think... And this is a bit of a more complex subject, I think, but that whole area of, of absurdity and creativity is, is something that I think subsequently mo- modern comics or modern uh, interpretations of uh, not just Superman but comic books here too, they've had trouble facing up to or getting to grips with tonally and whether they should ignore that silly stuff and try and take it seriously or whether they should just be silly but in doing so sort of un- are they undermining the character and I think you can see that during the Soul Kind movies, during the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, is is a kind of, I'm, especially after Richard Donner left, there's a sense of not quite knowing what the correct tone should be. Yeah, but I mean, the original plan was um, when they started making the movies was that Superman and Superman Two would be shot back to back, back to back, or simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, they were running behind money was starting to become a slight issue so they decided well, let's just finish the first one mm-hmm. get that out in cinemas and then we'll deal with the second and they finished the first one and it was a huge hit and they decided to reconvene to work on the second movie and then Richard Donner was told that he was getting sacked yes and he was replaced with Richard Lester mm-hmm. who the Salkinds had worked on before and with the three, musca- three, three, musca- three, three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers which were also shot simultaneously mm-hmm. so, oh. they, so they did sort of know what they were doing although those were obviously much cheaper movies and were filmed in Panama. Mm. So Donna got the sack, and Gene Hackman, mm. cast as Lex Luthor, refused to come back. Out, of, out of solidarity. Well, in, 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 in part two? In, uh, for the rest of part two. For the oh, rest right. of shooting of part two. In solidarity with Richard Donner. Yeah. Margot Kidder, who plays Lois Lane, was also quite vocal in mm. her opposition to that decision. So the finished version of Superman 2, I think is still pretty entertaining. Yes. Um, but it's cobbled together from two different directors, and Richard Donner isn't credited. And a lot of Donner's material was reshot. Mm. I saw the Donner version uh, recently, just, uh, just the other day. I'd never gotten around to seeing it because I thought... It's a, yeah, it's it, a bit it, it's patchwork. A, it, it is. It can't, it can't help with it. That's partly why I wasn't keen on seeing because I knew that they were going to just get together the original footage and try and... and see yeah, it. And, and the, it, it, it's, you can see what they were... Do it, and you can see how, in certain ways, it was a better film. But then I, I thought there were a better film than the Richard Lester yeah. version in terms of its intent. There were certain 
structurally it makes a bit more sense in certain places, but then there are other things that I think um, possibly work better. Like, for example, the example I give is that the, the intention at the beginning was the bit where Superman um, turns back time. Yeah. That was Initially, that was going to be the end of Superman 2, but at the time when they decided, let's just focus on the first one, they thought, we need a big finish, um, and we don't know whether there's going to be a second one yet, although they almost certainly would have done a second one given the amount of footage that they'd already shot. Yeah. But they said, let's do the turning back time thing in the at the end of the first one, and then we'll think of something else for the second one. And then when you see the original cut, when you see the Donna version of Superman 2, and they have the, um, the reversing time bit, it, it doesn't work as well, because it, it seems unnecessary, given the amount of progress that the characters have made in the story. Yeah. It seems a bit of a cop-out. Because it's effectively... I mean, she actually said Richard Donner did, years later, mm. assemble a director's cut using his own footage... Yes. Bits of screen tests yes, and yeah, yeah. some material from the the Richard Lester version, and that's out on DVD and Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting, but it's a bit cobbled together. And the, yeah, the problem is that the turn back time thing in the in Superman in the first Superman, it just rewinds a couple of hours, yeah. so that Lois comes back to life. Yeah, it's more visceral. I, I, yeah, I think so that it's is. just correcting that one thing. Yeah. but at the end of Superman two. It, he winds back pretty much the whole movie. Yeah, it undoes the whole film. It seems like, and a, it doesn't really matter because at the end, at the end, General Zod and his they fly off. Yeah, yeah they, they, well, well, they they end up getting arrested, don't they? They end up being depowered and arrested. That's in the in the in the Leicester cut. They are. No, the Leicester Cup, they're, they're killed. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, no, wait. Someone just throws them down I, the big I hole. I think in the Leicester Cup, there is a, a deleted scene in which they're arrested, but it was cut from the ah. film. But in the Richard Donner version, when he rewinds time, they return to the, the Phantom Zone. Yes. Um, so they must have added that. Perhaps that was the intention, just so they could reuse the characters later on if they, they wanted to, yeah. or just to be consistent with the idea of turning back time. Mm. I, I think either way is not necessary because in, in the not to focus too much on Superman two, but uh, I never really liked the idea that he removes Lois. He's, they, they return the status quo of um, Lois and Clark. Uh, Lois not knowing his identity. I've never particularly been fond of that uh, story um, conceit. It, as a, as from reading Superman as a kid, I far preferred the. Post the, the kind of nineties, post this uh, version of Superman, where they're an item and she knows he's Superman, and they have a more healthy relationship, basically not one that's based on lies. And in in Superman two, in the Richard Lester version, he she sort of says, "Oh, I can't." She, she sort of is unhappy at the situation because she knows he's Superman, but they can't be together because he's too busy being Superman. So then he he kisses her and she magically forgets yeah. and it's not it's one of those unexplained bits of uh, where they tap on an extra power that Superman has that is non-canonical but they just sort of add it for expediency which they do a couple of times in Superman 4 because they, there's, bring, there's they, a lot of them. they bring back the amnesia kiss and they also have oh, well, we have to talk about that because that's the strangest thing we will get on to that. Yeah. The other thing is Superman's um, ability to lay bricks with his mind. Yes, apparently there was... I don't think they showed it in the original. <laughs> it, it, there's a bit where when he's having his battle with a nuclear man, they go to China and a uh, nuclear man destroys part of the Great War of China. And before 
they fly off again in the script. Superman was going to quickly rebuild. The, oh, I see. The, it would that makes more sense. Quickly rebuild the wall and then carry on. But they didn't shoot that. They didn't have the, the budget to shoot that. And so he just stares at the wall and then it, it magically repairs itself. Which I think kind of, it worked. It, it, by that point, you're like, whatever. It, it works just as well. <laughs> you're not really invested in the. If you've got the that, if, if you've got that far, yeah. then you're going to forget. But it's, it's a sad thing that you say about giving up on verisimilitude because that was Richard Donner's. Yeah, that was his key work. Was that key it has to be believable. Yeah. and he, I think he basically landed the Superman job on the basis of the Omen. Was it the Omen? Yeah, because yeah. that was the last one he made before it, and it was you know such a crazy far out conceit. Oh, it's the Antichrist has come back, mm. but he does it totally seriously and totally believably, and that's why the Omen is very scary. I think mm. because it's done. Totally normal. Is it, if you have Superman just walking down the street yeah. without any other sort of fantastical stuff, it's more believable and you get more invested in it. Yeah, he, he, he felt a kind of uh, responsibility to the character and the uh, mythology of it. I think he took that aspect more seriously in a way that Richard Lester, although he, um, he's a very good director and he's uh, done some very interesting stuff, he's very creative if, if you see his other films. Well, Hard Day's Night. Yes, or, or the bed sitting room as well. I've never seen the bed sitting room. I've I seen really it, should have. Yeah, it's. Um, I've had mixed feelings about. I mean, it's very interesting. It's like it, it's more of a, a means of exploring certain ideas and almost sketch like it. It's not got a strong story running through it. It's very. It's sort of willfully absurd. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those sort of classic um, British. Monty Python. Well, yeah, because it, well, it's it's Spike Milligan. It's Spike Milligan. So yes, it does have that kind of like dystopian goon show yeah so it's it's, it's very silly uh, but there's poignancy to it. It, it it didn't hold together as well as I thought that it would given the amount of talent that's there but it's a very int- it's, it's a very interesting um, curiosity mm. I suppose um, but yes uh, Richard Donner uh, fam- famously helped sort of felt it was his responsibility to protect the character uh, and I think that may have contributed to his Animosity with the soul kinds who are very sort of old style movie producing yeah. people who are more. Um, they're more focused on the bottom line. Yes. They're not well, really creative Ilya, people, in all honesty. Well, Ilya Solkind kind of took a, a, a larger creative role in it. I, I think he was one of the people that. I don't think he gets a story credit or anything, but I think he was more involved in the creative process than certainly than his father was, I think. Mm. Um, but. Uh, I'm not 100% certain of that. Well, after Superman 2 came out, that game was a big hit, and they started to get to a third movie, mm-hmm. Superman 3, in 1983, and it's a Richard Pryor movie. Pretty much, yes. Richard Pryor was a big Superman fan. He'd, he'd been on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and reenacted part mm-hmm. of an earlier Superman movie because he enjoyed it so much. Mm-hmm. That got into the attention of the producers, and they essentially fashioned it as being Superman teams up with Richard Pryor. Yeah. Gene Hackman didn't want to come back. Margot Kidd had got sidelined. Mm-hmm. And the result is, I think, quite a fun movie with at least one absolutely terrifying scene in it yeah. with the robot lady. I, I've not seen it in, in a while, I'm afraid, but I had mixed feelings about Superman 3 because I like Richard Pryor. You know, we, we all like Richard Pryor and it's fun seeing him in everything, even though... I think he, he wasn't in that many good quality films. I think there's, there's one or two. I, I like his uh, Gene Wilder, the films he did with Gene Wilder. Yeah. And they were well regarded in my house growing up. We liked 
uh, even see no evil, hear no evil, things like that. I like see no evil. Yeah, it's Kevin Spacey's in that. Is he? Yeah, he's the English hitman. I remember now, actually. Yeah, he is. Oh, I haven't seen it in a while. I wonder. I, I hope it holds up. But then I, I realised growing up that that film was not well regarded. Yeah. And then I, and then any time I find, I'm very, I think, too, perhaps too sensitive to what like prevailing opinions are on certain films. That's why we're here. Now. That's why. Yes. <laughs> and I can. I find that it can really <laughs> impact off my subsequent viewing of a thing. Mm. It can change. Uh, but I can still enjoy stuff. But then I'm too conscious of the fact everyone doesn't like it. Um, it'd be interesting to see if See No Evil, Hear No Evil holds up at all, because we might... There may have been this... Um, because they're playing... Uh, should we talk about this? Well, 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 we'll, we'll just outline briefly. Uh, Gene Wilder and uh, Richard Pryor play uh, two friends who run a little newsstand in a, uh, an office building, and Gene Wilder's character is deaf, and Richard Pryor's character is blind, yes. and between them they witness a murder, yeah. which they are then suspected of. Mm-hmm and they get all caught up in all kinds of shenanigans, and there are there is a fair amount of humour drawn from their disability, but it's never at their expense. Yeah, that's, what, that's why I'd like to, to re-watch it, to see to what degree it is at the expense of their disabilities. Well, you know? they, did, they did consult, apparently, with you know, the National Organisation of Blind People mm. and you know, sort of disability interest groups to say, no, we don't want to laugh at... Yeah. Other, you know, if a deaf person was in an action movie, how how would that work? So there's the whole mm. the mugshot sequence, yeah, <laughs> which is it's, it's just br- brilliant physical comedy, yeah. but it capitalises on the fact that one of the characters is deaf because otherwise it wouldn't work. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's a fun movie. Yes, yeah, I, I'd like to think it is. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to rewatch it. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, Superman three did reasonably well at the box office, mm-hmm. but did very poorly critically. And so the Sarkans took the decision to sell the rights. Yes, to the Canon Group. To the Canon Group, mm-hmm. notorious for their ninja movies mm-hmm. and Chuck Norris vehicles. Yes, they'd given like, a large amount of money to Sylvester Stallone because at the time it was at the, the height of his um, t- uh, powers. Uh, <laughs> and, height of his uh, bulk. And, and this sort of ended up contributing to what happened to Superman 4, I believe, because Superman 4 went into production, I think, with a much larger. Budget. Yes. It was like 40 million, which at the time I, was quite. I believe it was 34. Was it 34? That's, that's okay. quite a lot, yeah. And in the meantime, as this was going on, they released Over the Top with uh, Sylvester Stallone, which they were banking on to be a much bigger success than it was. In fact, I think it lost money and it was a terrible flop. Over the um, Top being his um, arm wrestling it's movie. It's the arm wrestling movie, which also appears to be a love story about a man falling in love with his son. It's a very, oh, really? it's yeah. I think it's, I think it's not deliberate. Oh, okay. but it's, I, I, it's I, I, a very I, I haven't film. seen it. But I'm slightly curious because it's a very. I think it became a bit notorious because arm wrestling is a very uncinematic sport, and to sort of get a a very sort of an action star to do an arm wrestling movie, it means there's a lot of static shots of the rest people of not moving, gurning, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think basically that wasn't that wasn't a hit. They lost a lot of money. There were. A bit strapped for cash, so they decided to severely cut the budget of uh, Superman 4 as it was in production. I don't know to what stage of production. I believe it was still in pre-production. It was in pre-production, yeah. so that's when they cut the budget. So it meant that they had to excise stuff from the script that they had rather than redesign it with that, that budget in mind, which I think contributes to a lot of the problems with the film. As far as I'm aware, they actually cut the budget exactly in half. 
Is it exactly now? From 34 to 17. Okay. Now that you've bought the Blu-ray, you'll be able to watch it with the commentary. Uh, the, 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 oh, the Blu-ray has commentary. Yeah, the, gotcha. the, the DVD has commentary as well by one of the co-writers, Mark Rosenthal. Mm. And his, I remember well, I watched the commentary when I had the DVD, and I, for some reason I was watching it on a Monday night. But the very first line he says over the opening titles is, you can see from these credits that there is something very wrong in the city of Metropolis. <laughs> Because the opening titles look so cheap yeah. that they would disgrace a children's BBC lunchtime show. Yeah, it was, it's hard to know. I remember seeing when I saw it again recently, I thought, well, this isn't a patch on the, uh, the Donna. But, you know, no, with the, the flying through with space. The, yeah, it, it looks very... But then I, I, I didn't know what to compare it to at the time. Because what was the year this came out again? It came out the summer of 1987. 87, okay. So The Living Daylights, mm. one movie had just come out. Uh, I think The First Lethal Weapon, Richard, Richard mm. Donner film, yes. ironically, who was actually asked to direct. Yeah. I should say, Richard Donner was the first choice to direct, and obviously he turned it down. They thought they could get him because the Sarkines weren't involved anymore. Yes. So they thought, oh, because they were getting everyone else back. So, Given the amount of people from the first movie that are back in this, in terms of the cast, yeah, at least there, I think there was an attempt to sort of get back to basics a bit, and um, let's bring everyone back. Let's try it again without Rich Pryor, and uh, <laughs> and, and be that, that as though that was that was a distraction, and that it was sort of that, that. At least I got the sense of that from watching the film. Yeah, it's, it's um, even taking into account the the budgetary limitations it's a very stripped down story mm-hmm. and it rendered even more so by the fact that they cut so much uh, footage out uh, yeah, we'll, just we'll, stripped down the, the running time we'll certainly get on to that yes. the, the second choice to direct did you read about who this was? Uh, it's actually someone who uh, we, oh, the cinematic world lost very recently Wes Craven Wes Craven yeah. director of Nightmare on Elm Street who I can't see that working I mean I'm sure he would have done a, an absolutely professional mm. job and he did wind up having a, this weird career blip later on, where almost everything he did in his whole career was horror, yeah. except that inspirational inner-city music drama with music Meryl Streep, Music yeah. of the Heart, which I haven't seen, but I think, why did he decide to do that? Was that a passion project of his? I, think, I don't know about passion project, but I think it was something that he did want to do. It wasn't just a journeyman type. No, no, I mean, he, he wouldn't have... I mean, yeah. if, he was, if it was just for the cat, he would have just done another horror movie. Mm. But it was just such a strange... Yeah. So I think yeah, he, he dodged a bullet on not taking on this job. Mm. I think because he'd worked with a lot of independent producers and knew that it was maybe not that great an idea to do a, what should have been a big budget movie with them. Yeah, if he'd have known, if, if by the point when he was approached, he already knew what the, the budget restrictions mm. were, I, th- I think he may have thought and, a bit. And he was coming off uh, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, mm. which apparently was a complete nightmare to make. Oh, right. So he was probably hoping for something that was an easy ride. Mm. So they wound up hiring Sidney J. Fury, mm. who is not terribly well known, but he did direct the Ipcrest file. Ah, oh, yes. Which is the classic mid 60s anti bond spy movie. Mm. As you say, bringing back uh, people who worked before, John Williams' music is reused. Yes. It actually says in the opening credits music by John Williams. Yes. Re orchestrated or something like mm-hmm. that by Alexander Curry. So they've just re recorded the music. They haven't written anything new. I think basically that John Williams did the first one, but each subsequent Superman movie was done by um, Ken other composers. Uh, Ken Thorne wrote additional music for Superman 2 and all of the music for Superman 3. Oh, barring the, uh, the obvious Superman themes, of course. Mm. But uh, there is a small amount of music in the deleted scenes, which I assumed was source music. 
Yes, it sounds like library news. Because um, Nuclear Man has sort of a weird electronic sounding theme, mm. which doesn't appear in the actual movie. But the film opens mm. with some Russian cosmonauts singing yes. My Way. Yes, that's quite charming. I, I thought. Yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll wait till we get back on Earth, comrade Sinatra. Yes. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's a nice little way. Cause, and mm. the film goes out of its way all the way through to actually have Russian characters who are yeah. quite sort of likeable and just normal people. And, that's, and they're explicitly Soviet Union characters, of course. Yes, and I think there is a... Throughout the film, it also ties into the themes of, um, of, of uh, nuclear disarmament yes. and peace. The, the, bit, the, the volcano sequence, which I gather was based in... Was that supposed to be it's Italy? A, it's supposed to be Vesuvius, apparently. Yeah. Yes, and there's a sort of... And I, I thought that was quite a, a charming sequence, even though effectively... Superman is defacing a, a mountain when okay, yeah, when he, um, yes, I should explain the, the sequence where there's an erupting volcano, so Superman um, plugs it with the top of the plugs mountain, it by the top of a nearby mountain, which is actually going to cause a gigantic explosion. Yeah, oh yeah, that's, so that's he's actually that's, that time is going to get a. That's a very Superman <laughs> thing. We're not getting to, and I think it's very easy to dismantle the physics of, <laughs> of this. He could, he, well, he he does blow on the lava. Yeah. To, he could have tried doing that on the top of the mountain. Yes, there is, there is that, but come As the cosmonauts are, are getting about, they're hit by debris, and mm-hmm. Superman rescues them. Yes. So it starts straight off the bat with so Superman helping the Soviets and yes. talking to them in Russian. Yeah. So it has a, already a very sort of global feel yes. to it, saying that yeah, he's, you know, he's not interested in your politics or anything like that, mm-hmm. but if you need help, yeah. he'll be there. Yeah. Back in his hometown of Smallville, he's on his farm, and his farm mm-hmm. is going to be sold. Yes. And there is a brief deleted scene, which I don't think is on the DVD, where he visits his parents' graves. So his mother has died in between. Oh, the really? Because yeah. oh, I, I think that, isn't there a bit where he goes to his father's grave? Is that not in the film? His father, uh, it's not in this one. His father mm-hmm. dies, or his, his earth father, yes. dies in, in the first yes. film, and sort of dies on screen of a heart attack. But his mother is still around. And in fact, his mm. uh, Superman Returns, mm. which sort of ignores Superman 3 and 4, features mm. his mother, played by Eva Marie Saint. Yes. So she's come back to life in that movie. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I think that getting a bit onto Superman Returns, the, um, the continuity, I think, it, it's, it's... It's trying to be the third part of a trilogy. I, th- I think that the continuity is left deliberately vague, and the, I, I think people expecting it to be a direct follow-on from the Donner films, I think it's not quite intending to be that. I think it's just taking the aesthetics of the, the Donner movies and it, leaving it to your imagination what the preceding um, events were. I think it works as a, a kind of third Donner movie. It does work. Um, it works I mean, I mean, massively. It's, I mean... But Whether or not it's a good film in its own right is another matter mm. because it's, I don't know too much to give away that yeah. I think the Superman films go on a sliding scale of quality and that the longer they go on up to the present day the worse they get. Do you mean that each film is progressively worse? Each, each film is successively worse. So the Superman the original is great yeah. Superman 2 is pretty good Superman 3 is fun Superman 4 has problems but I think is a very mm. decent film. Superman Returns I found boring mm. and Man of Steel I wanted to jump through the screen and just yell endlessly alright well we'll have to talk a bit about Man of Steel we will I think we'll, we'll say we'll say yes. that to the end because I'm just going to get angry yes <laughs> but uh, Superman talks to, Superman talks to the property developer as if he's an old friend which I thought was uh, an interesting detail when I put the film on and it gets to around that 
point, or even the, the, the earlier scene with the, with the Russian cosmonauts, yeah. it did strike me that despite this big thing, isn't this like, it's ten years later from the first one, right? Uh, well, nine, but nine. yeah. And I think Christopher Reeve was 35 or so when he, they did Superman 4. And I, what, I, what I was struck by is he still looks good. Like he, he, oh, yeah. he, he's, he's pretty good in it. Uh, it still, it doesn't seem like, a, I, maybe if I watched them in order it might be more noticeable. But it didn't get this kind of, he didn't look, I don't know, it's not like Atoll K or anything. I was going to say, have you to a kill? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not seeing like a, a, a bumbling. He's, no, he's of... he still looks in. Perfect, he's in reasonable yeah, shape. He's he... perfectly credible. Yeah, he looks noticeably older, but only in the way that anyone who's 35 yeah. looks older they do them when they were 25. It, it's as like if, if the other films didn't exist and that was the only Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah, you would still say, "Oh, that's pretty good casting. That that fits." You wouldn't say, "Who is this old?" Uh, Who is this old man? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think that helps to hold together the film more than it, mm. it was intending to. It actually makes me think that um, with um, the new Superman, with Man of Steel and all of that, mm. I think some, some have suggested that a great choice for Superman would have been John Hamm. Yeah, that was and suggested. I think, yeah, ten years ago, yeah. because he's mid-40s now. And I, yeah, I think at the time... Yeah, and he's in, he's, he's in great shape for mid-40s, yeah. and he's a great actor, and he looks the part, but he's just too old. Yeah, I think Superman should basically be like late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, we'll pass for that at least. Yeah, I think he, that that's fine. So while he's in uh, the barn, actually, the the long shot of the barn on his farm appears to just be a false front with nothing holding it up. I didn't notice. I have. I didn't notice a lot of that sort of thing when I was watching. I was aware that parts of the film were shot in Milton Keynes and things like that. We can yeah. get onto that in a bit. Oh yeah. I wasn't distracted by production values as much as I thought that I would be while watching it. That was one thing that I, I decided afterwards. No, I think they're actually quite smart with that by having a limited number of sets but actually making sure that they're properly built mm. and using them a lot. Yeah. Like Lex, Lex Luthor's Lair is a really nice set and it yeah. would easily pass muster in any of the earlier movies and they just use it a lot. I think that's where the, the film suffers a bit from reusing the same sets constantly. So there's a bit too much time spent in what, what the Daily Planet, and there's a bit. Too, it, it feels like they're recycling it at, at points. But uh, overall, it was was not as distracted by. And in fact, because well, the, the famous thing about the film is that the, the special effects are so cheap. But yeah. I, I felt, in a way, uh, kind of paradoxically, time has kind of been kind to that aspect of it, even though, I'm sure, especially at the time, it would have seemed very shonky, and it, it is still um, shonky now, but because we are, um, there's a sort of distance of time, uh, when, we, when we watch anything from like, the 1980s or 70s, we, we sort of, we can appreciate the, the special, that we can appreciate the craft of it, but I think our minds have sort of been um, engineered to associate that with being fake so it's it's right. so basically when I'm watching him fight nuclear man I'm already making similar allowances for the fact that it's it, it's it's on wires or it's a yeah. blue screen in the similar way to then I would the earlier films which have much better quality of production but they were done the same way because well, still because yeah. like, it's still actors on wires and blue screen and things yeah. like that it's just with not quite so much yeah. care for the detail 
yeah, it's not as good. It's, it, no. it's not nearly as good. But I think you're making the same kind of um, suspension of disbelief that you would even by the relative better quality of the earlier film. So it means, um, I, I found at least that I could enjoy it for what it was presenting without being distracted by that. Where, whereas at the time I would have been much more distracted by the fact that it's not very good in terms of effect. In his barn, Superman has the, uh, or I should say Clark, given that he's in his civvies, mm. uh, he has the capsule which he came to Earth, mm-hmm. and it has inside the one remaining power module, yes. which is apparently his last link with Krypton. And I think that's an interesting thread for the film, is the mm. idea that Earth is his home, yeah. and here is, he's holding in his hand the last thing that links him with the planet of his birth. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the theme of the movie as a whole is about him embracing Earth as his home and of leaving behind Krypton. Yes, in fact, there's the, the, there's the scene later on where he returns to the Fortress of Solitude and he sort of asks the Krypton elders whether he should interfere, in, uh, uh, which is a bit strange because he's, if you follow the continuity of the films, he's already done that more than once. He's, he's sort of already interfered. Rolling with, back time. He's rolled back time and... <laughs> Uh, what else did he... Oh, yeah, well, there was a similar thing in, in Superman 2 where he decides to abandon his powers for... Oh, yeah. Uh, which I never really liked. I never really thought that, that Superman would do that. Uh, but it's, it's, it, that, that is a thing that's handled a bit better in the, um, in, the Donna, in the Donna cut of Superman 2 oh, because you have Marlon Brando... He's speaking to Marlon Brando, so he can communicate... It's him speaking to his father, whereas I think in the Richard Lester version he just sort of decides to do it. Yeah, I think he's... It's Susanna York. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, the Susanna York bit comes a bit later when he's trying to get his, his powers back. Oh, right. But he's sort of... It's more of a conversation he has with Lois where he says, I'm going to, to do this in the, in the Richard Lester version. But in the Donna version, he's, he's Marlon Brando warning him that this is the consequences of you choosing Lois over being Superman. So it sort of... It, it takes the edge off it a, a bit. So it means that... Even though I still think he's he's sort of making the wrong decision, but the the, the whole arc is based on that it's the wrong decision that he's what he decided was wrong. Um, whereas it's not clear that that's not made as explicit in the um, Richard Lester version. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, in um, where were we in Superman Four? We were sort of getting we are to literally the, about five minutes in. We're five minutes <laughs> in. Okay. There, uh, so he finds the crystal, and I, I felt this thread of the story is not really handled very well, it's something that disappears and then reappears later on it's something that maybe would have benefited from a flashing out yeah. There's, uh, so the idea that this is sort of the remaining link to his uh, to, to Krypton they've established that and, this, and they, there's a sort of they describe what the crystal does but it's very vague, it sort of says that it give, using this crystal will give you some kind yeah, of power you, you, yeah. and it's sort of, there's a bit of foreshadowing saying oh you can only use it once yes like any medication. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lex Luthor's in jail, mm-hmm. as he still is since um, the end of whichever movie he was last in. And his his nephew Lenny arrives yes. in the most vulgar car in the world, mm-hmm. uh, which he traps two guards inside and then drives off a cliff. Yes, that was amusing. <laughs> I think, oh, they're dead. Oh, they're yeah, definitely they're, dead. Yeah, and then they crawl out. And then there's a scene where they crawl out. No, 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 they're zombies because that would have killed them. Actually, this, this is a total um, deviation, but this is uh, relevant to, to, to that. But recently I saw um, 
the film The Majestic starring uh, Jim Carrey. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, I have, yeah. Yeah, it's not very good. I was so disappointed. Yeah, it's... Because um, <laughs> it's... Yeah. It, you it's, sort of think, oh, maybe it could... Like, it's got problems with America, but at the ending, just stone dead. But there's a scene... The scene where... I should briefly explain the plot of the oh, uh, the majestic. Yeah. Why not need to bother? No. It's not very good. No, it's not very good. It's but about a, it's about a blacklisted screenwriter who loses his memory in a yes. small town. Yeah, please. All right, that's there's but the scene where he loses his memory, where he, he um, his car falls off the bridge, but the, the 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 car falls off the bridge into a river, but it falls off like head first. The car sort of flips over and Jim Carrey lands on his head, and then we're meant to think. Oh, like, and then it cuts to him sort of escaping the the car. I just think there's no way that you could survive that. That would absolutely kill you. It lands. No, it lands in water. Yeah, right? it lands in water, but it lands head first. Right, up, it flips so, so upside, upside down. down. I just That's, when I look, it's well, like maybe wins. Like, uh, yeah, I can mm. imagine that survival, but in in this, the the guards land in a quarry. Yes, because it's a rock breaking quarry, and um, yeah, they're definitely dead. Mm. But, but then they call. The, but then they call out because shot of them calling. Yeah, because it's. I mean, as I say, it's a children's. It's not a children's film. It's a family yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but Lenny Luther. Mm. What a character for the ages. Yeah. Lex Luther's annoying eighties nephew. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those characters that Hollywood comes up with now and then to illustrate their contempt for youth. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they imagine young people. I know he's supposed to be a villainous character, but he's he's not. <laughs> He's horrible uh, in, 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 in every way. It's a very obnoxious character. He's, he's, he's barely in it. He's got not a lot of screen time. He's in it quite well. He, he doesn't get to do or say a lot. He's just he, Because he only serves to break Luther out of prison. He doesn't really serve a dramatic function other than that. Like, well, he, he just sort of hangs he's out. He's there so that Lex has someone to talk to. Yes, because they couldn't get Ned Beatty. So they thought, well, let's make up a, that he has a younger... Is it a nephew? He's a nephew, nephew yeah. Yes. And he just does the kind of very stock. Oh no! Yeah, oh yeah, that's there's a lot of uh, ADR of him saying stuff like that, and it's very weird. John Cryer hated the film. Oh, did he? It won't surprise you. He actually said the film was unfinished. Well, which is sort yes, of is. Yes. I mean, it's it's releasable certainly, but everything about him is obnoxious. His hair, yes, his voice, his, his clothing is his very. Cl- his, like, his clothing, his clothing is very sort of eighties futuristic. I couldn't place what they were trying to do with his clothing. There's no sort of point of origin to it. If that's what I remember from seeing him, is that it doesn't seem to relate to an existing model of what teenagers exactly. are supposed to be. It's like, it's like Howard the Duck. It's like, this is what studio executives in the 80s, through that blizzard of cocaine, <laughs> thought young people dressed like. Right. And they looked like they dressed out of... like. They would sewn together a coat out of seven different novelty umbrellas. Yeah. yeah. It. I mean, he, he <laughs> he's a terrible character, yeah. but he does serve a function mm. because you can't have Lex walking around talking to himself because yeah. then he'll just look crazy. Like a, he'll, look, he'll look crazy. <laughs> yeah. And as he says, I think it's the line between. No, it's the line from the Bond movie. It's the line between genius and madness is measured only by success. That's pretty good. Yeah. Mm. So Tomorrow never dies, which is yeah. possibly the best part of that movie because it's yeah. not that good. The Daily Planet is mm. bought up yes, by Mr. Appa- Warfield. A, well, apparently by Richard Desmond. Richard Desmond. <laughs> yes, by Mr. Warfield, mm. um, who is the, the, the a parody of a press baron. Mm. 
talking about yeah, yeah we, can put, we can put anything we like as a headline it doesn't matter yeah. as long as we sell the papers yes Jeremy yeah. Corbyn causes, <laughs> causes cancer yes this, this of, of course sort of um, feeds into the, the numerous sort of well-meaning themes that run that, that run through the film and that give it a bit more make it a bit more of a curiosity I think than it otherwise would be in, 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 a, posit- in a good way yeah and also another benefit of this is that it means that they can further abuse the trope of using newspaper front pages to illustrate plot points. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in this film where where, where the story is, is illustrated purely by a headline and they show it to each other and go, well, look at that headline, so-and-so's done this. They could have actually fixed a lot of problems by just putting in lots of cutaways of those to cover for the deleted scenes. I think that's probably what happened. Superman fights a nuclear man all around the world and yeah. then you don't have to film any of it. Well, there, there is a, there is a bit later on. Well, I'll, I'll jump to now. It's what's the name of Warfield's uh, daughter? Is it Lacey. Lacey. So she's made the publisher of the Daily Planet, and they illustrate this by the front page of the Daily Planet saying "New Publisher at Daily Planet," and then a big picture of her face, and that takes up the whole page. There's not even any blurb. There's like not, not barely room for blurb. It's just that's the headline news story for that day. But I could imagine. Newspaper. I could imagine that order coming down from above, though, saying, "The front page of tomorrow's paper will be about my daughter." Yes. Uh, yes. So it's, 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 yeah. But then it, it ends up being it does important silly. to the plot because. Uh, nuclear man sees, and we're getting a bit ahead of Yeah, yeah, we'll, we, yeah, we'll, we'll, get we'll, we'll, we'll fill in the blanks we'll later okay, on. But yeah, right. nuclear man sees a picture of her yes. by the front of a newspaper, black and white picture, that's yeah. not really very good, and immediately falls in love with her. Yeah. Or, well, it's, well, it doesn't even, it's not even love no, because he, he can't feel. He, he has no sort of character traits, so he's not really, no. he's not got specific motivation, he's just this unthinking monster. Yeah, he doesn't even have his own voice. Yes, <laughs> he pursues her apparently for, for He that, kidnaps her. Yeah, but there's a bit where he sort of go, he can work out where the daily planet is, and he sort of goes, and he just well, yeah, they've got the name on the building. Yeah, um, that's true. He can he just flies around the earth <laughs> enough. Oh, that building's got that yeah. name on it. That's, that's actually they've probably got the publishing address in the paper. So you've got stomach yeah, to stomach. Yeah, yeah. No, where is this published? Yes, and and so the, basically, it, it struck me as something that there may have been a few deleted scenes that would further rationalise or, or cement his motivations for pursuing her of all people in order to uh, kidnap her and he's not clear what he intends to do uh, shudder to think but uh, <laughs> uh, anyway we're getting out ahead of ourselves yes there is a nuclear crisis yes there is some kind of uns- unspecified very unspecified international nuclear crisis they, in fact they don't even specify that it's a crisis they, there's an implication that it is but they say that there's some kind of a summit yes there's some kind of nu- summit for Nuclear um, deproliferation, that's the word. Really. Disarmament? Disarm- well, yeah. Um, uh, to sort of reverse d- proliferation. D- yeah. Yeah. Um, but, well, yeah. 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 But it, it's, it, all we know is that it's not going very well. Right? That, that they're not managing to. Uh, the, the nations of the world aren't seeing eyes wide on this and they don't want to reduce their stockpiles. And, and, but that, that's about as much as we get in terms of the plot, I think. Well, that's, I think that's all we need. Because this is something. I, no, I'm not sure. I, this is something I've spoken about in one of one of the other podcasts in the series. That nuclear weapons and nuclear war was a massive terror of mine right. when I was a child, and particularly around the time when this film came out. Yeah. So, 
I empathise absolutely with all those kids being terrified of nuclear war, particularly since one of them's called Jeremy. Yes. <laughs> so I thought, oh wow, they made a film about my life. Mm. Oh, I don't remember meeting Superman. And, and, <laughs> he must have yeah. given me the amnesia kiss. <laughs> as, as an aside, I, uh, I re-watched um, Threads recently, and... <laughs> I don't, I, and I'm going to be quite serious about it. I, I tend not to use the word masterpiece that much for, for like, anything, really. Okay. But uh, I think, even though, yes, Threads is very well regarded, uh, I watched it again, and I really think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a flawless film. And that it would, perhaps if we got a cinema release, it would be better regarded as a film, rather than just the, the impact of it. Yeah, this isn't the first time that Threads has been mentioned, actually, in this podcast. Um, it's been suggested before as a film we should cover. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, it's a TV movie, so it's kind mm-hmm. of on the borderline, but everyone I know who's seen it has said that it's extraordinary. Yeah. I've never seen it. You've never seen it? I've never seen it, no. I don't have an excuse. Mm-hmm. It looks absolutely terrifying. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. um, the film of Whoops Apocalypse, mm-hmm. which makes a big joke out yeah. of nuclear war the TV series is very very barbed mm. and the film is less so and it's I think I described it at the top when I saw it again recently as it's as if someone has presented you with your worst nightmare but in the form of a knock knock joke right. and is asking you to laugh at it mm. and I just thought I no this isn't funny this is the worst thing I can think of I think there's sort of a tradition of that, especially thinking of Doctor Strange, I would call, of taking something that horrific and finding a satire and finding humour out of it as a means of being able to engage with the idea that otherwise would be unthinkable. Absolutely. But Doctor Strange, it was funny. It is, yes. I and it has wit, and the film of Wolf's Apocalypse. It's not, it's, I have not it's seen it. The TV series is worth seeing mm. um, because it's about an hour longer, so they're, mm. they, they have much more depth and much more time to to do stuff. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Lex Luthor and Lenny are in a museum where they cut through... Now, there's a piece of Superman's yes. head in a museum, and from it is hanging a great That'd big, great, strong, <laughs> strong man's yeah. ball yeah. with uh, £10,000 written on, which is very expensive, mm. because we use kilos in the 21st century. Mm. But even though it can hold £10,000, Superman cuts... Uh, Lex Luthor cuts through it with a pair of pliers. Yeah, I appreciated that. <laughs> that, that. That sort of was maybe a, a slight... Um... They should have used a blowtorch. Well, I, I think... I, I kind of accepted the physics of that. I thought that was maybe a sort of like genuine physics. Even if something was that powerful, you could still probably use pliers, given just the pressure... Uh, the normal, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I see what it's you mean. It's similar to how they say that like, a woman, a stiletto heel has more pressure on it than an elephant's foot. Yeah. Anyway. No, no, that's a fair point. But yeah. Also, the idea that they can use it to uh, clone from Superman's DNA is nonsense because hair is dead tissue. Whatever. <laughs> they might as well use his fingernail clippings. Because yeah, but it's actually you, the same too. Maybe that to another museum. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's a museum in Iceland that specialises in Figuring out clippings of the rich and famous. Yeah. Lacey is planning on uh, revitalising the Daily Planet by introducing Metropolis After Dark. Oh. And uh, is basically using the whole thing as a pretext to take Clark out on a date to yeah. Metropolis's hottest new night spot. 
I'm sure I watched this film. I don't remember much of this sequence. Well, the thing is that it's at this point that there is a joke joke of the movie that's been removed, Um. which is where Lex uses the hair to make the first nuclear man, Mm. who's played by Clive Mantle. Yes. Of um, Uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones. Obviously, he's in Game of Thrones. He resides in the UK. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that I haven't been asked to be in it yet. (laughs) I remember him being in Casualty and playing Frankenstein's monster in a series of adverts for Power Gen. Well, there you go. Which is actually very appropriate yes. because the, new, the first nuclear man he plays is basically a giant moron. Mm. Well, and um, from seeing that, it's a very strange uh, deleted clip, especially because the music. I can't remember the choice of music, but it's very. Uh, it's very sort of comical, Laura yeah. Hardy type music. Yeah, it's, very sparse as well. It's, it's, uh, well, I think the, 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 the temp, it's a temp track. Mm, yeah. But even so, it's really odd. Yes. But um, what I appreciate about that, at the very least, and this is probably the closest that this film gets to any kind of fidelity to the comics, is that that character bears more than a passing resemblance to uh, Bizarro, the, the Superman villain, who was a, a faulty clone of oh, I uh, see. a Superman who, who looked like Superman, he had a backwards S. On him, right. And he had uh, white skin and big and big teeth, and he would just say the wrong. Th- he would just say the opposite. So he would say, he would say goodbye, Superman, when he arrived. Oh, I, see. I remember. I remember it being discussed on Seinfeld. Say, oh, does, mm. does does he say bad bye? Yeah. Does, <laughs> yeah. does he live underwater? There, there is a <laughs> limit to the bizarre logic in terms of how to speak. I always thought that because of the whole thing of the term bizarre now being. Yeah. used I think in, in that common parts to me like backwards I thought oh is he like from a, the other side of a mirror um, where everything's yes. reversed mm. is that but no, but no he's just like a, a clone of Superman who's been spliced with like chimp DNA or something yeah I don't know if it's been spliced there was but, the but, original but comic the point is that, uh, he, yeah, that, that he's, a, he's a clone that didn't work mm. out properly there's an Italian restaurant near Paddington Station called Bizarro's and they only they have deserve yeah those. so it makes <laughs> yeah <laughs> They make you bring your own wine and yeah. leave it there. Yes. So yeah, so the first nuclear man meets Superman at the mm-hmm. nightclub and they have a big fight mm-hmm. and it winds up with nuclear man being thrown into a electricity substation. And then a Catherine appears. And a appears and he's turned into ash. And you see, yeah. <laughs> one thing that I like from the deleted scenes is <clears throat> the next time we see him, his remains are being carried around by Lenny in an ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... just Humiliating, pretty much. But um, little Jeremy writes to Superman. Oh yes. And there's a rather nice deleted scene where Superman comes to Jeremy's school mm. to answer his letter in person because it. Jeremy asks Superman, "Why, why wouldn't you get all the nuclear weapons together and get rid of them?" Mm. And Superman actually comes to him personally. I think it's a very like a politician thing to do. Yeah. Comes to him personally and says, "I want to tell you in person, no." <laughs> um, oh, so, I can yeah, see that. That actually sounds quite good. The reason being that it's not really up to him. Yeah. That you know he'll pass on Jeremy's message, mm-hmm. but you know it's not up to Superman to make that kind of decision. Yeah. And that fits in with the, the whole non-interference thing. Yeah, I think it, it it suffers from not having a kind of counterbalance to that. I think the whole it's like, I mean the film suffers obviously in a lot of ways from not just uh, budget restraints but also the, 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 the amount of cutting that they did yeah. is quite noticeable it's about a third of the movie yes it's quite a lot so it means what the result of it 
is that a lot of this, a lot of the themes, the very ways he think that they they were considered quite important, uh, get a bit short thrift and they don't really get fleshed out. So like, like this is the point I was making earlier about how it suffers from not making clear what the um, political situation actually is. If they stress that this is a crisis situation or that, it may have worked a bit better, but it doesn't seem like there's a... You don't get the sense, at least from the film, that nuclear weapons are as immediate a threat as they um, should be in order for Superman to take effect. Yeah. Apparently, when they were developing it, because it was I think it was Christopher Reeves' idea to involve yeah. the disarmament as the theme, and he consulted with Tom Mankiewicz, who was a creative consultant of um, Richard Donner, who he worked with Richard Donner to help cut, carve out the, the, the original story for advice on this. And um, I think it's Tom Mankiewicz. I've forgot his name correctly. And Tom Mankiewicz said, "Don't pull that thread." That's what, that was his advice. Oh, yes. He said, um, you don't want to Superman to get involved in things that Superman could actually fix because then the audience would start asking questions about why doesn't Superman do this, why doesn't Superman do that, and then the whole thing unravels. So you could ask, like, why doesn't Superman irrigate the moon or something and help feed the homeland? You know, there's, like, lots of things like that that you could do, and this is sort of one of them. Mm. Um, I don't know if I really agree with that. I think there's room for Superman to be more proactive. I don't think it necessarily has to be this uh, this completely standoffish type of deal. Yeah. But at the same time, I think... Because I think that's something that's you're capable of dealing with in an adult way to a degree. Because I, I think what Superman says makes sense in that there is a point where if we um, humour the idea of there being someone this powerful, what they, should, what they shouldn't do, I think that's a reasonable ethical question to ask it's, it's not silly yeah. I think that's where the, the drama can come from in a Superman movie because yeah. basically he has unlimited powers mm. because they're really defined by what the story is it seems yeah. and, it's a bit, and in, in the comic, yeah, in the comic books there are, yeah. in the comics there are probably more strict rules about what he can and can't do there, there are now but there didn't used to be I think also well actually there probably aren't I don't think they've ever physically they didn't specifically say he can't do this, but he can't do this. And right. They always try to keep that flexible, dependent, because then they may come across a story where they need him to do certain things. But they're quite—they're more clear about what his power set is. So they won't right. just suddenly say, "Oh, he's telepathic now." I, I th- in, the, in the way that they used to more in, in the Silver Age, where they would invent new powers. Although he did recently get some new sort of fire-based power or something like that. But if they do, it's specific to the story, I think, but it used to be that... I think the reason he managed to cultivate so many varying powers is it became uh, a la mode. For, for him to they, just they, suddenly... They now he has him. X-ray, now he has uh, heat vision, now he has ice breath, now he has... Um, famously, originally, he couldn't fly. Yes, he could He could just jump very high. I, I think... Um, I'm not coming with... Leap tall buildings in a single bound. Yes. I, I think that may have come... The, the radio plays and uh, the early serials... Uh, oh influenced a lot of that. I think maybe one of them had him flying. I can't remember whether that's the case. And then after that, it was, well, he's flying now. And so certain, so certain aspects of the mythology actually came from television or radio. Hmm. It's, it's a continually evolving mythology. Well, it was. Um, it, <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. If you're talking about the, the comics, I think they, they tried to keep everything... Um, 
available if they want it. So that's why, I think that's sort of a problem you have with, with comics in a way, is that there's no uh, a sense of progression in a conventional sense. So characters don't get older. Well, they do, but then they get young again. Yeah. Or so, so basically, Batman's had about four or five Robins. Um, <laughs> but he's still Batman. And they, they get old, they get older, but then they don't get any older than that. Yeah. And then there's this constant sort of five-year... And occasionally they're murdered by the Joker. Yeah, but then they come back again. Oh, well, that's fine. Yeah, he's fine, but if I don't... Yeah, he's... Uh, Jason Todd. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, Robin. That's, that's that, right. um, that sadly got beaten to death. But then he got better. And then he was a bit of an anti-hero bad guy. I don't know what he is now. I, 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 I he got beaten to death. But by the Joker with a crowbar. Oh, right. That's, 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 un, that's unusually brutal, it seems. Yes. For, I mean, it, maybe, yeah, shooting him, maybe, but to death with a crowbar mm. that's and tough I, I think at the time the Joker I may be wrong on this but I think at the time he was the ambassador to Iran the Joker was the ambassador to Iran yes I believe that's a, a, a plot point oh, in this was, story. was that during the Reagan because, presidency hmm? was that during the Reagan presidency uh, yeah in the late <laughs> 80s so I, I think it was late 80s so yes that sounds like something that President Reagan would have done what beat made, no, no, no made the Joker pre- uh, ambassador to Iran yeah, I think it was more... Yeah, he, looks, he looks happy. Let's send him over yeah. there. Cheer, cheer them all up a bit. I, I have to reread the story, I think, but that uh, may be incorrect. Supposedly, Reagan's body was an autopilot for his second term. Was it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, with this, the, the, the headline of the Daily Planet the day after Superman speaks to Jeremy is Superman says drop dead to kill. Yeah, <laughs> Which is, I think, yeah that's the whole yeah. point of the press manipulating headlines. Yes. That's so brutal. <laughs> there are some amusing. It's amusing. I wish I made more notes when I was watching it. I made bloody loads of yeah, them. Yeah, I've got a few there, so maybe you'll. I didn't even have. I didn't even have time to enjoy the film. Hmm. Right then, the moment where sort of Clark sort of wanders off into an empty conference room and he just looks pensively out of the window hmm. and just sort of thinking, yeah, maybe I should do something about this. Yeah, and then this leads to an odd sequence where he he reveals himself to Lois. Spontaneously, yeah. they go for a jaunt. They fly about, and they also they sort of fly about in, in comically variable uh, surroundings, where they go from a desert to the mountains. Yeah. To, and they, so it's like they're going all over the place. They're going all over <laughs> the world, all over the shop. And then he he, he drops her back, and then he, he sort of says something to the effect of, "I don't know what to, don't know what decision to make. I'm not sure what to do." And then he kisses her again, and she loses her memory of the whole thing. Yeah. So by this, at this point, his it's it's suggests that uh, Superman has a rather kind of loose um, <laughs> uh, attitude to uh, it's a little bit Rohypnol, isn't it? Well, yeah. And it also suggests that he, he does this periodically, <laughs> just any time he's the um, mull things over, he yeah. needs someone to talk to, but he can't keep her that way so then he just wipes her it's a very because he doesn't add anything to the story it's very uh, no you could have had a scene where it's just he is as as Superman mm. he sort of manages to talk to us and say look I've I, I need yeah. someone to, I need someone to talk to about this and yeah. you're the person whose judgement I trust yeah and that would have been a nice little yeah. intimate moment and yeah. the, and it, yeah, you wouldn't get, want to get bogged down in the ethical arguments mm. of oh nuclear disarmament because it's supposed to be a fun family adventure yeah. movie but you could have that as a nice little character bit. Mm. And there is the, uh, the inference that Earth is threatened in the same way that Krypton is threatened. Yes, we have that scene where um, 
he sees the, the Krypton elders and they, they repeat the word betrayed. Betrayed. Too much. But there is a nice line there, which I thought, that's actually a good bit of line of dialogue, where they say, um, it, it's, it's wrong for you to have the population uh, place their faith in any one person, even if that person is you. Uh, or it, it, it. Right. Uh, yeah. um, and I thought that, that, that goes a bit of a way to sort of address the... Um, the, the weight of the decision that he has said. Mm. And I think that the film starts from not maybe emphasizing that a bit more to sort of say what the con to make clear what the actual dilemma is. Yeah. Because it's it's not relevant to the and also I think the film generally suffers because there isn't much forward momentum in the plot. There isn't a sense of what the story actually is until Nuclear Man shows up. And Nuclear Man doesn't show up until around the end of the second act, I think. It's, it's quite a late yeah. edition. So a lot of it is you're, not, you're sort of uh, sat there wondering what the actual thread of the story is because he's got this dilemma about whether he should intervene, but the dilemma isn't, it's not seems, doesn't seem to be motivated any, by anything more than this letter that this child sends. The actual, we're not made clear what the political situation is in, in order to, for him to react. We can assume that it's maybe a bit dicey, but we don't get a proper sense of it, I don't mm. think. The, the bit where it sort of follows from this, where he decides to act and he goes to the UN building. And, and this is a bit that I found a bit puzzling, because he gives that speech. It's a very short speech, given the amount of... Uh, normally when people make speeches... And the fact he sort of turns up, there's not a sense that he, invited, that he made, them, made it clear to them that he was going to turn up at that time. Everyone's very pleased to see him, understandably, because he's Superman. And then he says, uh, I've come to a decision, I'm going to rid the world of all nuclear weapons. And then everyone bursts into applause. Yes. Yes. And I remember thinking, even for Superman, that would, diplomatically would be an incredibly uh, difficult thing to organise. It certainly wouldn't be a thing that everyone would sign up to, and everyone would be pleased. If Superman suddenly said, right, I'm getting rid of all your nuclear weapons there'd be turmoil. You'd have Russia saying, well, you're not having ours, or something. Or yeah, have, you know, you, America's saying you're not having Or America, ours. especially America saying, uh, we're not, we didn't sign off on this, and there's no sense in he brokered an agreement or anything, he just unilaterally yeah. you know, decides something, and then everyone's... And that would be fine, but then everyone just seems to fall in line with yeah. this, and there's no sense of there being any kind of conflict there. Um, and, and I think, given that they are intending, trying to uh, attempt to do something talk about the dangers of nuclear weapons and, and stuff, I think it, it suffers from not engaging enough with it as a dilemma. It's, it, the dilemma seems fine. In fact, he, um, it, it, there doesn't seem to be a negative side to him getting rid of nuclear weapons. The only negative side is nuclear man. But that's really a separate thing. It's not a, it's not a logical consequence of wanting to rid the world of nuclear weapons, really. I think no. maybe in the script there might have been an element it, the whole thing is it's so it's very simplistic yes because he turns up and says oh actually <clears throat> before he turns up it, it it's a nice reflection of the the, the varying scale mm -hmm. of the various men movies that in the first two movies all the location material was shot together mm -hmm. and Metropolis scenes were filmed in New York and in Superman 3 they filmed them in Calgary in Canada mm -hmm. in Superman 4 they're filmed in Milton Keynes yes and the United Nations building is actually Milton Keynes Railway Station. Yes. And it's a bus station, isn't it? Or is it my railway I, Well, there could be, but it's probably the two together. Yeah, oh. But just watching that scene, I think, 
Yeah, we want lots of lots of local colour here. Yeah. So there's a hot dog card. Uh, yes, and uh, a fire hydrant. Oh yes, to, yes, to, and, to, and represent, to represent America. Yes, there's a single fire hydrant. And there's some Pepsi product placement as well. Yeah. Because they have they only don't they don't have that in Milton Keynes. Mm. They only have Capri Sun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the time especially. Mm. Mm. And when he says that he wants to dress the delegates and need to sponsor everyone's hands go up. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it shows that everyone, yeah, everyone's got trust in Superman. Yeah. But, uh, but, 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 yeah. And then until he opens his mouth and says, I'm going to make some unilateral <laughs> decisions. Yeah. <laughs> that would terrify you. You know, there is... That is maybe, at the very, very least, the, 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 late, the, the, the Man of Steel at least makes a, a, a gesture towards us that, that perhaps the presence of Superman might be a, a terrifying prospect, or yeah. it might be a front. But I, I think that should be overcome within the film itself, if, if you're going to address that. Yes. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves again. Um, well, that's not, actually, that's, that's not the whole idea of the world reacting with fear to Superman is, I think, something that's going to come up in. Batman vs. Superman yeah, that, Justice. that seems like a strong threat judging by the trailers. Yeah, well, uh, as, as of the time of this recording, it looks bloody awful. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I haven't liked the look of it. And, and it's a real shame for me as someone I grew up with, I specifically grew up with DC Comics, so I, I should be thrilled at this new age of uh, the uh, DC cinematic universe. Suicide Squad is a really good idea for a comic, and it would be a good, cool idea for a film as well. The basic gist of it is due to there being a, a glut of supervillains because they're being dispatched every week in, in the comics, they thought of um, this way of dealing with them is that they were that the government would hire supervillains to do sort of black ops type maneuvers and for them to so then it means that they were disposable because these were characters that nobody really cared about and they were like second or third tier villain characters but they were made by the you know after they'd been apprehended by the government they would be made to go into these sort of uh, covert maneuvers and so they had deniability if uh, they they died or something right and then as it went along you so you so the characters that became fan favorites were like initially goofy characters like captain boomerang who was this sort of obnoxious Australian guy who was really good with a boomerang. So there was a, the, the idea was that these sort of goofy, colourful supervillains who nevertheless had to do these kind of Metal Gear Solid-like <laughs> things. And that's, that's a funny, silly idea, and it's an interesting idea because also they've got lots of different wacky characters and they play off each other. And you have a rotating cast of characters because you can always bring in new characters. So that you right. can, and you can surprise, you can kill off characters and it, where normally you can't really do that in superhero comics because they have to stay alive. But you can play around with it. And not to say that the new film doesn't have its merits. There's an aspect of it where it's, it could work. It's like David Ayer, isn't it, that's yeah. directing it? And I, can't, I always get him confused with um, uh, the guy who did um, End of Watch, Anton Foucault. I get those two mixed up a bit because I think they work together on something. Yeah, I think David Ayer did End of Watch. Did I see? I did see. So I think you know the guy. Yeah. I just thought we did the Equalizer. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Who and and David Ayer did um, Fury. Fury. Okay. So it's, it looks like there's some interesting aspects to it, but it, it's lost the idea that these are meant to be colourful, wacky characters because they're all wearing black. It's and very, very sort of dour, grip, grim. Yeah, very stripped down version. Look how like serious it. we are. Yeah. We're grown up. It's very, it looks really adolescent. It reminds yeah. me of um, Torchwood, <laughs> the Doctor Who spin-off, which yeah. tried desperately to be serious and grown up mm. by having everyone mope around in the dark 
yeah. and have angry sex with each other. Mm. And as a result, the first couple of series of tortured are terrible. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I remember seeing the first couple of episodes maybe and thinking it's not for me, <laughs> but uh, that, that's about it. The funny thing is that in the, the third series of Torchwood was a, a five-part series shown mm-hmm. every single week. Oh. And then the quality just rocketed. Oh. It, was a, it was absolutely brilliant. People were mm. shocked by the sudden increase in quality. Mm. And the series four was a, an American co-production and they tried to do ten hour long yeah. episodes. And it was a disaster. Oh, um, really? And it's now been cancelled. Oh. It's, it's since been resurrected as an audio series. They, they can do that. They can make that work, I think. I don't know. On audio? No, they can bring it back as a series because I, I think they could, if they just had the right... Um, talent behind it and then you possibly yeah. it does rely on um, John Barrow never ageing well he's, I think he has one of those faces that can he, he, he does look different now than he did ten years ago when he uh-huh. ceased to be, oh, be capable of he played, isn't he meant to be his, char- his character's supposed to be immortal yes so that, that's always a problem I think but, yeah. yeah anyway Meanwhile, mm. Superman has been gathering all the world's nuclear weapons in a big in net, a big net yeah. like, uh, like there's ones that you get oranges in, in the supermarket <laughs> yes and he throws them into the sun, mm-hmm. and Lex meets with the Council of Evil. Yes, one of which is played by Jim Broadbent. One of which is played by Jim Broadbent. One is William Hootkins, and one is Howard Hughes from Over Decreasing Circles. Oh, really? It's Stanley Le Bon. I didn't know, I, I, one of them looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. Hello, nuclear man. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the, this is, makes up the entire Council of Evil. It's not quite clear what it is that, uh, that those three people are. They're, they're kind of arms manufacturers. They are... Uh, Stanley Lebor is a Russian general. Mm. Uh, Jim Broadbent's character is supposed to be French. Oh, because, oh really? Yeah, well, you can't trust that French. Um, but I think he's supposed to be a kind of international arms dealer. Mm. And William Hootkin's character, I think, is supposed to be sort of an, an arms dealer as well, or right. some, some sort of hawkish yeah. figure. And as a, I liked, did like the, the line as Lex says, if we work together, we can make the world safe for war profits. Yeah, and he does a little mix of impression as well. Yes. And Gene Hackman's great in it, even though yeah. he's clearly he's, he's phoning it in at this point. I think he's sort of not taking it terribly se- seriously, but that's fine. Cause even even when he's phoning it in, though, he never half asses it. Yeah, he's always giving. I mean, he's, it's a great, fun, energetic performance for yeah. him. Even though he he's, enjoyed, just, he's got he, one eye on the clock. Yeah, I think he enjoyed playing that character. You can sort of sense there's a sort of playfulness to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the uh, that plan is to. Um, Glue what looks like a little cash box to the mm. side of a nuclear missile. Yeah, and put a, a tiny scrap of cloth that's yes. going to be nuclear man's suit, and um, fire they, they, fire, they yeah. fire it. In, they fire it into space, yeah. and then catches it, and throws it into the sun, and yeah. then it, that gives birth to nuclear man. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Clark has gone to an aerobics lesson. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, and um, <laughs> this has got one of those um, sort of. Super dickery moment in it, if I remember right. Like he throws a weight at he someone's face. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. In, in fairness, that instructor was well, a, the, yeah. he was not a nice person. Yeah. Well, what, what I was going to mention is that this is a sort of trend that uh, it happens once or twice in um, the Christopher Reeve Superman series that I've never really cared for. In which um, he there's there's the bit in Superman two where he gets um, beaten up by that guy in the diner, and then so. Very vindictively, he at the end of Superman two, he he goes and finds the guy again and beats him up. <laughs> just <laughs> with for his, the hell of it. With his superpowers. Yeah, and I think that's not a very noble work. 
uh, a thing to do. And, and similarly, in, in Man of Steel, they have an even worse um, bit where he destroys a man's livelihood just because he was drunk in a bar. And yeah. None of that scene makes sense. Uh, because he's supposed to be like the bar, he's like, works in the bar. He'd have every right to just toss the guy out because he's being abusive. But instead, he just sort of takes it all in, remember? In yeah. The Man of Steel, and then walks out and then destroys the guy's truck with, and also destroys the power lines in the. In the in the town. I thought the, really the events of Man of Steel mm. demonstrate in the new DC anime, uh, cinematic universe, mm. Superman is a psychopath. Yeah. Who loves murder. The, and this sort of brings me to a, a, a small kind of theory I have that it, I get the sense <laughs> that the new Superman and Batman movies are, are written by functioning sociopaths. Oh, yeah, I could... Yeah, um, Zack Snyder, basically. So yeah, and um, David Goyer. David Goyer. Well, David. No, David I don't know Goyer about Zack Snyder. Snyder. I think Zack Snyder just likes filming stuff. He just likes. He doesn't shooting. think about it in much detail. Yeah, or, or, I, I get. I get the sense he's he's trying. He thinks that what he does has depth. And there's a lot. If you listen to interviews where he talks about Superman and Batman, he sort of appreciates that they have this mythological um, portent to them, and that he wishes to tap into and I think he he wants to do that visually but at the same time and someone else made this point that the the films are actually very very, um, deconstructing of uh, mythology rather than um, sort of embracing the mythology they sort of they undermine mythology they sort of uh, their attempts are more kind of grounded and realistic and cynical towards the ideas of, of higher I think, that, I think that's their mistake because Superman is not a cynical character mm. and he shouldn't be treated cynically. Well, you, you can, it's just if you do, then you're taking aspects that make him unique, I think, because there's, yeah. there's a glut of uh, superhero characters who are anti heroic or who are gruff and have an attitude, and there was, there's loads of those. And Superman, I think, by proxy, is one that became defined by his true blue nature yeah. in that he was a he was in opposition to he he was he he's not like that he's uh, a reflection of our best selves yeah I, because i think if you don't have the kind of appeal to a higher morality aspect to it then it's just someone who's very powerful and there are a lot of superheroes who are very powerful it that i think superman is he's meant to be good at he's meant to be super not just physically, but also ethically. He's mm. meant to be a barometer of, of morality. I, I, I think you should have that as a, as a, as a premise to yeah, work from. I agree. Yeah. Which, is, which is why I like Superman 4, because he's really taking a moral stand. Yeah, I, um, I'm trying to compare it to the other Christopher Reeve things, whether, it's, whether he behaves... Because he's... He's not dealing with any really similar issues. I mean, in the others, it's fighting people who want to destroy, conquer, dominate. Mm. So that's a very clear good and evil split. But here it's he's dealing with realistic issues, which are nuclear war, moral press corruption. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't really deal with that. He's just sort of... Well, Clark sort of does a bit. He's, he's very sort of... Uh, he does actually... Clark, do, Clark does openly speak out against it. He does, in a, in a very Clark Kent sort yeah. of way. But he's, he's, shouldn't we better be doing... Isn't this irresponsible at one point? Yeah. 
And that, that does come up over and over again, and, mm. and Clark does drive the conversation a bit. But Nuclear Man appears, he flies back to Lex's uh, say mountaintop there. It's not on the mountain, it's a building. I don't know where it is. It's the Metropolis State Building. Oh, What's the name of the state that Metropolis is in? Uh, it's varied. It's right, uh, right. Delaware. Uh, is that, is that um, I think it's an East Coast city. Right. Um, and I th- it varies depending. I think I'm sure it's changed over time. I think currently it's, it's on the same coast as, as Gotham. In fact, in the, in the new movie, they're like a twin city. It's like um, LA and San Francisco, and they're connected by a bridge, which I think is. I, I wouldn't agree with that. No, I think that's too close together. Yeah. So, but generally, Metropolis has been a stand-in for New York, and Gotham is sort of a stand-in for Chicago. I think that's generally. Oh been. right. Yeah, that makes um, more sense. I was, but, because I was thinking maybe uh, Gotham could be a stand-in for Boston. Um, perhaps. I think it's it's not. It depends on the artist's impression because sometimes Gotham is very gothic. You know. It's, it's yeah. Very sort of. Uh, sometimes it's very and, and Metropolis is sometimes very Art Deco and. Uh, mm. Depends on the, the artist, but there's an interesting. Uh, and Grant Morrison did a maxi series called uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory, and the, the idea was taking disparate comic book characters and then connecting them through circumstance into a, a wider plot. But one of the stories was set in New York, in, in the DC universe, and the nickname in the DC universe, the nickname for uh, New York was uh, Cinderella City, because uh, it shared the same coastline with. Uh, Metropolis and Gotham, which were both like larger, the ugly sisters. Well, yeah, which were like large, larger cities. So I thought that was an interesting uh, way of accommodating fi- the fictional city. And, and also, in uh, this is an extra sort of silly, geeky detail. But when they did the um, Justice League versus the Avengers story about um, oh, fifteen years ago, they, they, where the two universes collide and so on, one of the details they added about when they were comparing the two. Is, is that the DC Earth is slightly bigger because it, it has more because places. it has more fictional cities, whereas Marvel the Marvel Earth doesn't. Nuclear Man mm. has Lex Luthor's voice, yes, which makes me wonder what actor Mark Pillow's voice really sounds like. It's his only um, mm. acting credit. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was actually a bit of research I should have checked where um, there's an interview with him online. Oh. And I gather that he basically blames his experience on this movie for not acting again. Oh, really? Which is a bit of a shame. Because he, he's, you know, he has a... Re- I mean, it's hard to judge because mm. you can't hear him speak, but yeah. he does have a reasonable amount of presence and he looks good on screen. As like a, it's like a bad guy wrestler thing. I think, yeah. and, and overall, especially when the, you know, the film comes to an end, especially the whole sequence on the moon, it's, it, it's probably um, the closest to making that connection between sort of superhero action and the kind of um, the, the sort of over-dramatics of uh, professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, that it, it reaches that kind of, where the, the two sort of intersect, where it's as though it's a, a wrestling battle. The, the manner in which they fight, the way they grapple each other and they throw each other, it, it's as though it's a, a, a fictionalised version of the fictional... <laughs> Uh, conflicts that you get in uh, wrestling, so he, and that's his. That so he seems like a wrestler, that, that's, yeah. and it's like a wrestler persona. You could have cast a wrestler. You could have yeah. cast, say, Roddy Piper. Yeah, who is actually yeah. 
was unfortunately died, died earlier this year. So. He did, yeah. Um, but uh, you see the film They Live, yes. where he has a lead role. It's a bit dicey for some mm. and their real acting experience. And it's actually pretty decent. Yeah, I think it, it, it works in the context of, of that character. And that the character's end might be a bit debatable, but it is, his character in They Live is sort of a, a bit of a doofus. Yeah. He's not the he's sharpest tool in the shed. No, he's, he's supposed to be very naive. Yes. So, oh, I, I believe in America. Yeah. As, the, as you know, the riot police get rounding up all the poor people. You know, he just there's a bit in David where very short. And it's it's a it's a great film. I really like uh, They Live. It's got oh, yeah, a weird it. um, structure to it because it takes quite a long while to get going. It's about forty minutes, forty five minutes, I think, before he puts the glasses on. And so there's there's a long first act of where he gets to that point. I, I think it's been a while since I've seen it. But one of the first things he does once he realizes, once he puts the glasses on and sees the the alien conspiracy is he starts shooting them. Yes. He goes into a bank and starts just shoot them very <laughs> indiscriminately. And this is uh, like our hero, I, I think. Well, he, he does discriminate. He never kills any human characters no. unless they're th- physically threatening him because there's a point where a cop runs out and points a gun at him and he can see through the glasses that the cop is human. Mm. And he says, oh, you know, drop, drop your gun and beat your feet. And apparently, the first take, the actor just sort of ran up and down on the spot because he didn't know what beat your feet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Either. Nuclear Man mm. is uh, his his great vulnerability is being in the shade. Is be, yeah, yeah, shade. Anything that's not in direct. Sunlight. He has to be in direct sunlight, yeah. or he shuts down, which is a big that's vulnerability. A very, which, very big. which it's mentioned a couple. It's, it's you mentioned something earlier about something that's only becomes relevant when it's really needed so he shuts down twice when he's out of direct sunlight mm. as a kind of demonstration that he does that yeah Superman never really uses that much I mean he does, he does later on yeah. but it's a very laissez-faire approach to yes the, the film is the film is not paying as much attention to this as the characters are yes because I'm sure that a lot of the time he isn't in direct sunlight and he's fine it's only when he's very, like he's behind a curtain, for example. Yeah, I think there's a. Uh, or in a lift. And, and I think probably given the amount they had on in each day, when someone will come about and say, hang about, he's a nuclear man in the shade in this scene, they would probably just be waving. Like, We've got more, more on our plate to think about. And I think that you, you get a sense of that running throughout the film that. The, the production had an awful lot on their plate at any one time. Yeah, they had more things. They were doing the best with what they had. Yeah, they were more concerned about just getting the film in the can yes. than saying, oh, we have to make this consistent. Mm. But, again, if they had maybe a bit more time on the script, they mm. could have thought, well, maybe if maybe he can be out of direct sunlight for a bit. <laughs> but then, of course, but then the point is that... I don't when he, when he needed that. When like, he, how much does it even come into effect, his vulnerability? It comes near the end. Well, you've got the, uh, the moon bit. Yeah, near, and near the end where, he, where they, they trap him in a lift, mm. where he's immediately depowered, because yes. otherwise he'd have just been able to just push the door open. Mm. I, mean, he, I mean, you could... You could just push him into a wardrobe. <laughs> and it's... I mean... <laughs> Mm. But um, 
yeah, to just put him on the other side of the moon, that would have at least given, there should have at least been a scene in, in between him putting him there and then, and then him immediately escaping. Yeah. Lacey and Lois have become friends. Oh, but this with, whole sequence with, is bizarre. I love it. It's, uh, I, I, this is, I generally dislike this sort of thing. Right, it's like a Saved by the Bell. So it's it's like a. I think there must have been an episode of Saved by the Bell where Zach had more than one date, and the one and any one time. So then he did. So he therefore ruins both dates by doing this absurd farce where he pretends to. Oh, I just got to go to the loo, and then he runs down to the other day. It's that kind of thing. And granted, it's it's a bit more um, ingenious, I suppose, because mm. it's Superman and he can do clever things, but it's a real waste of his day, <laughs> of his resources as Superman to join. Into. When, he, when he could have just said, oh, I've double booked, maybe it should just... Like, there's no real motivation for this whole scene happening, but uh, carry on, sorry. Well, I, I, I liked it very much. I thought it was... It, it reminded me of... just eats into the time as well. It, t- it takes about 20 minutes to play out. Oh, it doesn't stop that. How long did it take? It's literally maybe six or seven minutes. But, mm. it, but it reminds me of the, the original basis of Christopher Reeve's performance as Clark, which mm. is Cary Grant in The Philadelphia Story. Yes. So you, you have like Superman... Uh, Clark comes in. So see, it's difficult for me to tell mm. them apart. Clark comes in and Lois takes him and says, Hey, um, when you're out with Lacey, mention the, mention the dress, mention that she looks nice in the dress. And Lacey walks in and he goes, oh, hey, nice dress. <laughs> and, uh, now, I have to say, though, that a lot of that kind of patter that they have in, the, in Pratt Alvin, it's, it's not that bad. It's, 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 it's okay. It's, it's not the worst script in the world. No, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of wit there. Mm-hmm. When Superman comes in, he says, oh, it's a very attractive outfit. Mm-hmm. Mr. Smoothie Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and he does the fantastic Pratt fall in the hotel lobby. Oh, with, 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 the, with, with the foot. Just, no, he's, sort of, he, he's running and he sort of stops and his foot slips from underneath him and he almost falls over, oh, yeah. which is just a great bit of mm. physical comedy. And then there's also a bit with the luggage carriage. Yeah, he gets caught in the luggage carriage. And he's got that expression oh, in his face, oh. like, what can I do? I'm being hauled away by a, a, a luggage carrier thing. It's, uh, it's always so much fun watching Clark mm. because I think that Superman enjoys being Clark. Yeah. He likes Clark as a persona to wear. Mm because he's always a nice, decent, bumbling guy and he can kind of just mess around and not worry too much mm-hmm. about having to save people because Clark's just a decent... Yeah, I, I remember liking that less as a kid, that, that, that Clark being that inept and because I think it was something that subsequently they eased up on. Like I used to watch the, um, the Lois and Clark series on, um, in, in the 90s. Oh, yeah. The, the New Adventures of Superman this country and in that I, I, in, in fact still even though if I watched that show now I think it would be quite lacking uh, or it, it wouldn't hold up for probably um, what I did like, I, I think they probably have one of the better conceptions of Superman in terms of his uh, personality in terms of his, his approach in that Clark's the real person Superman is the role that he does in order to help people right and so you don't get this bumbling Clark Kent. Clark is who he is. He grew up as Clark Kent. That's, that's who he is. But it is very, um, I mean, in the movies, it is very uh, charming and there is a certain psychological satisfaction to it as, as well in, in terms of 
here's this very powerful figure who's gets a sense of enjoyment from just being a a good person who's clumsy. Or who, he, 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 and that, that's a very that's his idea of what being an ordinary person is. That's also an interesting niggle to yeah, it's quite it's quite patronising in a way. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's, even yeah, you, point. You, you humans falling on your bottoms all the time. Ha yeah. ha. Yeah, he enjoys being that character. But, See this? That's you, that is. But I think the, the, the Christopher Reeve comes to make it clear that that's not who he really is. is no. it, it's a kind of character that he's putting on. Well, it doesn't make it totally clear what is and what isn't here. I, I think it's that he's kind of half and half. Mm. That Superman is kind of himself, but extra, yeah. per- personality-wise. And as I said, Clark is a a persona he he likes to wear the person he likes but yeah it's sort of because there needs to be someone with whom he can be himself yeah and I think so, and it's it's his yeah. parents in other versions of the story certainly in Lois mm-hmm. and Clark which both yeah. his parents were like alive yeah I like the idea of that keeping them alive as, as people you could talk to I, I, because there's an overused trend and this is there's an overuse especially in like in heroes journey things a lot or especially in superhero things where they they kill the parents or they kill the father and then that galvanizes them and that makes them a hero that's fine for Batman I, I think that that works very well for Batman but Superman's not Batman he doesn't need that I think it and also works very well in the movie in the original when um, is it Henry Fonda no Scott uh, Glenn Ford Glenn Ford oh, I always get those two mixed up so. when Glenn Ford dies and he dies in a very realistic way yeah he just has a heart attack yeah. and collapses yeah, it's very, it's very nice, it's very moving, and it and it works because for all his powers, he, he can't, he can't, he can't do anything. Yeah. Whereas in Man of Steel, oh gosh, yeah, um, Kevin Costner leaps into a hurricane. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's just... In fact, he doesn't even do that; he just stands there. Yeah, it's it's very. That's what I was saying earlier, but I have a suspicion that this is. I, I really have a strong that it, it's it's made by people who have a kind of detachment in terms of how ordinary people think and behave mm. and. I think you must get that a bit just from being in Hollywood and being a screenwriter. You're kind of cloistered a little bit, and you're not in. Uh, you're not sort of interacting with regular people. Yes, yeah, I think I think that I think that could be fatal because yeah. you have to be able to write in a way that connects with people. Mm. Um, one thing, I mean, one fact that I thought was at the time I thought was incredible, but in retrospect makes perfect sense. The ending of Man of Steel. Mm. And we're going to blow the ending yes. <laughs> because you really shouldn't bother seeing it. Um, Superman kills the bad guy. Yeah. He kills General Zod and breaks his neck. Christopher Nolan yes. produced the movie and yes. had a big say in the creative direction. Mm. And he said that Superman should not kill him. He shouldn't commit yeah. murder. Zack Snyder, the, the director, and, and Goya, and, and Goya yeah. disagreed. Yes. And Nolan, to his credit, said, "Well, you're the director. Yeah. If I was in your position, I would want to be the one making the decision. Yeah. You do what you want to do." Um, so Nolan was in mm-hmm. favour of Superman acting like Superman. Yes. And not just treating it like another Batman movie. Mm. Yes, no, I, I'm still, I, I appreciate, I, I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan generally. Mm. I, I, I like his film. He's, he's a humanist, but he's not sentimental. Yeah, and um, I, like, I think that's yeah. sometimes, because uh, I, I liked Interstellar, but with some reservation, I didn't think it, it totally worked. But I think the kind of accusation level that uh, Nolan, that he's 
can't get to grips with emotions. I think no. or some, it's a bit unfair. I think they just. I, I think, think he just has a specific way of going. About I think it. Interstellar is almost like a direct riposte to that because it's a film that is driven entirely mm. by a man trying to save his own family, and it's yeah. and it's it's a very emotional film, but it never feels cheap. Yeah, the, the trouble I had with uh, Interstellar is that it's got it's it's like there's two different sensibilities. At, at war with it, each other in, in the film is that there's a kind of um, so, almost sort of magical realist type thing but there's this sort of a Spielbergian um, treatment of love as an independent variable or, uh, of it being this sort of defined thing the, uh, a thing that scientists when scientists in, in all earnestness would talk about maybe love is the key to solving this situation it, it has that kind of thing yeah. running through it and then it also wants to have a kind of um, the hard science aspect of it where everything is very grounded and, and believable and rational. Yeah. And it tries to marry those two things and it's, it's not... Um, it, it doesn't yeah, quite it's, work. It's a bit, it feels a bit of a letdown as a result. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I wasn't totally on board with all of it. Yeah. But I, I liked a lot of it. And I like, I like the fun robot. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I, I thought it was a beautiful... Um, nod to sources by having a robot that was shaped like the obelisk from 2001. I, I don't know if that's anywhere, but uh, I, yeah, why not? I think it probably was, but, it's, but it worked in context because he can sort of unfold and be different shapes and things. Yeah. So where are we in, um, in, in Superman 4? I've lost, I've lost my pace. Well, oh, just, oh, um, we've just had the, the whole farce scene. Now uh, Lex summons Superman away from his double date to <laughs> yes. his summit to, to fight with Nuclear Man. Mm. And um, I, I did enjoy that Superman says, Luther, it's well known that you hate children and animals. So, yeah, that's probably in all the, <laughs> magazine, that's in all the magazine profiles. Yeah. And Lex's plan is to, having, with Superman having got rid of all the nuclear weapons, he will then get rid of Superman mm. and make his billions by rearming the world. Is that using, the, using his council of evil. I, I didn't get a proper sense of what Lex's plan actually was. In there. there is, again, there's, there's more about this in the deleted scenes where Lex goes to speak to both the Russian and American high command mm. and each say that the other is building up their arsenals. Of course, to, they're going to listen to Lex Luthor. Well, obviously, he's the most trustworthy yeah. man in the world. His hair's grown back, for one thing. Mm. And uh, so uh, Nuclear Man and Superman have their fight around the world. Yes. Uh, sp- it's fun. I, I, I found the, the fight scenes quite enjoyable, uh, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier about how the, the bad special effects are, are, le- are less of a distraction now because we've kind of grown accustomed to what's. I think it's more. It's maybe a slight deviation, but I think when it comes to the progression of uh, special effects, that it's more just about what we are accustomed to. So it's not really that CG is necessarily more believable it's just that uh, we associate that with a special effect so it's like that's what we think it should look like but when things are not special effects we say oh that's not what a, that's not a good special effect anymore I, I, I think so we even so you get these things where we think it's CG when it isn't because we're just used to seeing CG and so what meant through watching it I could have even though yes it's very dodgy it's blue screen stuff it's very charming and it's it's also quite fast and mm. fast moving and silly. Did you did you notice how often one particular match shot appeared of Superman flying towards the camera? Oh, a lot. Yes. I I, I kept a count. Yeah. It's, oh. it's used five times in the entire mm. film. Yeah. An identical shot. Yeah. Yeah. I could Which, that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cheap. Mm-hmm. Very um, cheap. Nuclear Man scratches 
Superman with his big long fingernails and appears to give him radiation poisoning. Mm. It's quite alarming because he sort of starts off ill mm. and wrapped in a blanket and yeah. Lois comes and visit his comes and visits him. Mm. And then later we see him and he's really pale he's, he's, and his yeah, hair's falling out and he looks like he's been at Chernobyl yeah. and it's really distressing. Yeah. And of course that then ties in when we had the crystal and he uses that crystal and it makes him better yeah. because of magic. Yeah, I, I think the fingernails were a mistake. I, I, I think yeah. even as he's, as he's introduced and he's got these long fingernails, it, it just seems wrong to that character it design. Yeah, I mean, it's he funny. could have bitten him maybe. Or something. Or, or uh, like it, grabbed his head and yeah, said, because, because, he has, because he has these sort of this golden lightning going through him yeah. all the time. Which is like, actually, that effect is presumably animated. Mm. Yes, he must have spent so much yeah. time and effort doing that. Mm. He could have spent the money somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice yeah. effect, and you need to show it a couple of times, but he could have just done that, like, yeah, mm. put lightning in his face and something yeah. like that. Yes, Nuclear Man sees a picture of Lacey having come back to... Yes, the front um, page of the... Yeah, the, the, front, the, front, the front page of Daily Planet. Yeah. Lacey has been made publisher uh, in a not at all nepotistic fashion. And he decides, yeah, she's the one for me. And he smashes his way into mm. um, the Daily Planet offices. And actually, there's one bit I like where... Has, has, has Clark recovered? From Clark is in the process of recovering, and he's just about to reappear. Right. But Mr. Warfield, mm. who is the publisher, and is an awful man. Yeah. As the first thing that happens when Nuclear Man suddenly appears at the Daily Planet is Mr. Warfield steps in front of his daughter oh. to protect her. Yeah. And Nuclear Man immediately shoves him out of the way for, oh, well, he is... He's not a, I mean, he's not he's a... Welcome, yeah, he's welcome. Yeah, it's a small thing. But yeah, and it's shown all the way through that he does actually love his daughter a great deal. Yeah, I think it wouldn't be believable either. If he, if he sort of said you can have her, I, I think it would... But, it's, but, a, it's a bit too much. But it's the fact that he actively mm. is trying to protect her. Yes. And, and not, not just being sort of... Oh. Yeah. Um, that's going to come across one all morning. I pulled a very shocked expression yes. there. Um, I think that's, it's just like, well, you know, even in someone who appears to be this morally bankrupt, there's, there's still good in him. Yeah. He's, he's uh, more virtuous than Nuclear Man, at the very least. Yeah. Well, Nuclear Man grew up in a cash box. Yes. And then so Superman reappears, and he's all better, mm. and he and Nuclear Man have a fight in the street, in a yeah. very cheap version of the big street fight from Superman 2. Yes, this is a, a, a weird... Well, it's a thing that happens... Frequently, I think yeah, across the, the series, where it's people waiting for other people to be done doing the thing that they're doing. Mm. So Nuclear Man starts attacking people. Well, he just does a variety of things. <laughs> <laughs> he blows. I don't. He, he blows fire. I can't remember where he sort of extinguishes fire, or he just sort of does things, and then stuff happens. He say, he blows up some cars and some shops, yeah. and makes a SWAT van spin on its. Front end. Oh yeah, and then all the people and, start and, spinning and, me down. And he, and he hovers some commuters. Yeah, <laughs> and then Superman has to. He lowers and he, he lowers them with his mind. Yeah, and they take it in a they take it on the chin quite well. The, the commuters they're, they're they're pretty um they, uh, they, they, they take it in their stride. They're yeah. used to living in a city with Superman. Yeah. This kind of thing happens regularly. Yeah, every uh, two or three years. There's a bit while, while Nuclear Man is doing all of this. Chaos. It cuts to Superman saying, "No, don't stop doing this. Stop please. the people. Stop the people." And you thought, "Why don't you actually take a more of a?" <laughs> but but again, that ties that ties to Man of Steel, mm. where Superman is 
I mean, the, the big fight, again, the, the, the big street fight at the end between him and General Zod, a metropolis is reduced to rubble. Yeah. Um, I saw an interview with Zack Snyder where he said, oh, yeah, maybe about 5,000 people died. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hmm. But what's that we were saying about you being a psychopath? Well, 5,000 people. And it happens even in the movies, but it'll happen in, in, the, in the comics, in the, in the cartoons. There'll be a point where Superman will get in the and he'll, he'll either punch someone into a building or he'll punch someone... Uh, he'll be punched into a building or something along those lines. And they won't always go to great lengths to assure the reader that everybody's fine mm. and everybody got... But it works within the context of... With, tonally, it works. Yeah. In fact, there's a, a, a bit at the end of the Justice League cartoon where Superman, and it's this great, terrific bit where he, um, Superman faces against Darkseid and sort of lets him know that he says he's had this speech where he says, I, I feel like I'm in a world of cardboard and I'm always having to take care of not, not to hurt someone or something, but you can take it. So then he gives him all he's got and then he punches Darkseid, uh, who's a big sort of bad supervillain. Uh, and he punches him through like several buildings, <laughs> punches through about five buildings, and it's not this horrific moment or anything. And you don't sort of. So some people were when it came to the end of Man of Steel, and there was so much destruction, and he and, and where Superman was actively punching, he was actually actively endangering people by yes. punching buildings into buildings. That came across as worse because of the tone that they set, and they also were emphasising that people were in distress and they were in the vicinity. Yeah. And so some people were thinking, well, it's a double standard or whatever, because you... But I thought, no, no, it's, it's a matter of tone, not just a matter of what you see on screen. It's a matter of your approach to the, to, to, to the event. Superman is able to, as I mentioned, uh, Superman <laughs> lures Nuclear Man into a lift. Yes. So that he's cut off from the sun. Mm. Even though there's streaming sunlight in every other building he's been yeah. in, he's cut off from the sun in the lift. Goes into ma- goes into shutdown, and Superman pulls the lift to the moon. Yeah, which is quite nice. I, I, yeah, and, and the way he sort of rips it, quite sort of devil maker, <laughs> <laughs> yanks the lift up, and yeah, and just carries yeah. it on. And the fight carries on. There, a little a little crack of light mm. gets in and, yeah. and reactivates him. So they have another fight on the moon. But probably my my favourite bit in the film is the moon fight because it's it, like I said earlier, it sort of. It, it reduces the whole thing to a kind of one-on-one, very wrestling-like bout where they where they punch each other in slow motion, they hurl backward, yes. and, that, and there's lots of uh, slow motion going. Yeah. yeah, and that's great. I love that kind of stuff. That, yeah, there is a whole sequence that again that's been cut using Lacey as a kind of distraction. Right, because she sort of disappears at this point. Yeah, she is she on the moon? At the, I don't know where she is. No, she, um, she, obviously she's, she's carried into space. Where she's fine. Where she's fine, yeah, she yeah. can breathe in space. Mm. Everyone yeah. can breathe in space in this movie. Uh, pretty much. Um, Apart from the astronauts. Well, yeah, actually, well, if they only they just take their yeah. helmets off, they'd be fine. Yeah, that, that's where it gets... I, I don't mind people breathing in space if it's a cartoon. You know, like, yeah. I'm not going to... Again, if, 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 I mean, the, it's like earlier, where... I mean, if Superman is, like, holding on to you, mm. then, okay, you can breathe in space, because he's sharing his powers with you. But when he and Lois are flying around, he lets go of Lois, yeah. and she can fly on her own. Well, I, I, what I gathered from that is that he's travelling at such velocity <laughs> that if he lets go of her, she sort of oh, she won't reduce. <laughs> she's not. She's not going to. She's not going to plummet to the she's ground. She's gliding. She's gliding with him. So I thought, oh, that that could work. But then she'd be <laughs> the speed at which they have to be going. Yeah, is, uh, and they're not going that high. Yeah. But in the deleted scenes, it's made very clear. No, Lois is flying. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so, so he that can lend his rights. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fine. Whatever. Wait, uh, yeah, but again, it's like, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, he's, oh yeah, he had this power now. Yeah. Like, like the magic bricklaying. Mm. But um, that the, the fight ends with Superman pushing the moon in front of the sun. Yes. Um, rescuing Lacey mm. and dropping nuclear man into a reactor which turns all the lights on in Metropolis. Yes. <laughs> which he does without a moment's thought really. He's, he's yeah, no, no, because that would cause a meltdown. Yeah, and also he, he has no sort of two thoughts about killing a, a nuclear man or potentially killing yeah. yeah, I mean, you could argue that nuclear man isn't a real person. Well, I like to think that Superman doesn't kill in any circumstance. That, that, yeah. that, is, that is the sort of so I think, I think prevailing um, characteristic. We, we have had this discussion before, I think, um, talking about the, the time when, in the comic book, Superman mm. murdered someone. Or, or, yes. had, or, or had to, had to, had to take way, a life. And where he, he murders Zod and... Uh, uh, he, he, and, it, and it's a huge blow to him. And it's, it's a big deal. And it was a big deal at the time. Yeah. And it's... It had repercussions. It's, it's a, it was, it causes yeah. a great moral crisis. Yeah. And... That, yeah, that's a, that's a way of doing that. Mm. Rather than saying, oh, you can never do that. Saying, well, what if he did? Yeah. Um, which, I think it was generous. Which um, Man of Steel completely ignores because he's making a joke in the next scene. Yeah, I, I can imagine they pick up on some of those threads in the, in the sequel and they have him wrestling a bit with it. In fact, I heard some of the, the apologist type um, response to it was, well, the one that really runs me the wrong way uh, is when they say, well, it's, it's an origin story, still learning how to be Superman. And I think, no, that's not no, how no, no. it works. That's, the, that's not how people are. You know, we, like, we're all, yes, we're all developing as people, but the idea that if I, if, if there was a film about me and that it, <laughs> the culmination of the film is that I do something wildly out of character, you couldn't say... Oh well, I'm still learning to be me. You, that, that makes no sense, and I, I think, uh, and it's also assuming that there's going to be a subsequent film that's going to justify the existence of the first one. It's a terrible uh, attitude. Yeah, it's it's not a mm. uh, one should never bank on getting a sequel. Yeah, there's, and there's a lot of when it comes to justifying stuff in films. There's always the sort of well, in the sequel, da 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 da, and you think well. You should never assume that there's going. I mean, even if there is a sequel, something should stand on its own. Generally, should stand on its own merits and, and, and not be dependent on a sequel to rationalise mm. all of the, the things. It, it, it depends. There's an argument to be had there, really. With that crisis averted, Perry White has been able to buy back the Daily Planet by persuading the bankers of the city that yeah. the newspaper is a. I've written down natural resource. I'm fairly yeah. sure that's wrong, but it's like a like a utility, yeah, or, or I, I, which I, really yeah. it really made me think of um, net neutrality. Oh, the idea of keeping this very important informational resource mm. out of private hands. Yeah, but by you, by, by then making it in in debt to a lot of bankers. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that, I found that because that's a very because it's also a thing that has no consequence from the earlier events in the, in the story. So it's just a means of resolving that plot thread, but it, it's not something that is informed by what we've already seen. It just Perry White suddenly says, I had a word with some bankers, he does and that. they've decided to fund this now, so we don't need you. But, and, and it's like done very um, trivially. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit odd. And we have Superman's final speech, mm. um, where he says, well... 
I mean, yeah. he kind of, sort of weasels out of saying, I, I messed it up. But he didn't. Like, that, that, that's, uh, it, it, there isn't, it's not clear by his actions that he did, that his plan to get rid of weapons was a bad thing. It's, because it's yeah. not... It, it's, you, you say it's wrong to get rid of nuclear weapons because someone might attach some kind of genetic material onto one of the nuclear weapons and then they would cause uh, a superhuman person yeah. to it. So, so I really I learned my lesson there. I shouldn't have tried to get rid of nuclear weapons. Well, he... He, do, he does have that line, which I was going to write down. I sort of thought, well, that's a great bit of dialogue. And mm. I've discovered it. It was actually a quote from Dwight Eisenhower. Oh, which is the peoples of the world uh, will, they, they will have peace when they, they, yeah. well, they want it so much that their the leaders, leaders will have no choice but to give it to them. Yeah. Which is Superman saying, I can't make this decision. Yeah. You have to make this decision. Yeah. And force your leaders to abide by it, which is a very Superman thing to do. Yeah, and I think that's a contentious uh, sentiment as well. Like, I think, and and that's fine. Like, I, I could see someone saying, "No, that's that's not the right thing to say, or that's not the right thing to do." But it's it is believable in the context of, of this, especially this version of Superman, that you would have that kind of standoffish approach to um, trying to secure peace. And, and, and there is something to be said for that approach as well. You can't just you can't take things and just make things as you want them. Yeah, you have to. You have to. If something is worth fighting for, you have to fight for it. Yeah, I, I think that that question. I think is where going back to um, sort of Tom Hancock's advice, saying don't pull that thread, don't do it because you'll just raise questions that you can't answer. Mm. I think there's enough wiggle room there to get a compelling story out. Yeah, of that. but I, I think in order to do that, you have to properly engage with at least something that feels like believable consequences of of those kind of unilateral actions because that is what the dilemma rests on. It, it, it rests on the, the consequences of doing, doing that, really. And, and so the film doesn't make an effort to engage with those consequences for, for understandable reasons. It's a very slight production. It, it, overall, it's a very slim uh, uh, film in terms of running length, in terms of production. And so it's got these very weighty ideas, but it doesn't have the capacity to... Um, engage with them in any real way it's just it, it, it's just nice that they're there because it shows that they had <laughs> that they had higher hopes yeah but they're not really met in the film unfortunately after that there is there is another deleted scene that I liked mm-hmm. where Superman visits Jeremy again and takes him off on a little flight uh, up into space oh. <laughs> where he's fine um, although apparently in the comic book adaptation he's wearing a spacesuit. Yeah, I've heard that the comic adaptation tries to fix a lot of the issues yeah. in the film. But um, he asks Jeremy to describe what he can see, and eventually it says, oh, I, I can't see any borders, I can just see one world. So, oh, yeah, that's the way I see the world, little boy. So it's sort of a it's nice little... Sweet, yeah, it's a, it's a really socialist thing to say, <laughs> I think, which is yeah. quite surprising for a mid-'80s action-adventure well, movie. Yeah, I mean, if, if, there is a sort of hint that it's made by uh, left sympathetic people in terms of the it, it just in, in terms of the issues yeah. that concern. Pati- particularly Christopher Reeve, I think, yeah. because he's I think creatively the driving force behind the movie. Yeah, I, I think it, it kind of rested on him whether he was willing to do it. I think there probably wouldn't have 
Bin well, Maybe the, if he didn't do it. The, 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 he did strike a, strike a deal with Canon that they would fund a movie that he wanted to make. Yes, Street Smart. Which is Street Smart, yeah. which is, I haven't seen, but apparently is extremely good. Oh, really? And it's a film about press corruption. Oh, like, I Ironically yeah. enough. But yeah, he, he drops Lex Luthor off in jail. He drops Lenny Luthor off at a remedial home mm. and leaves him in the care of a priest. Yes. Which is clearly going to be fine. <laughs> and um, says to Luthor, hey, see you in 20. And mm. how many years was it until the next Superman movie? 20 years, maybe? 19. 19. But, uh, and, it, yeah, and it finishes with the, uh, the flyby yeah. of him smiling at the camera yeah. that we have at the end of all the other movies. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Superman 4, watching it again. I haven't seen it in a few years. It has problems. Yeah, um, quite significant. Yeah, but I think that they're mainly due to the budget being cut and the money time being cut. And I think if, yeah. they, if they've been given the resources to a reasonable degree to make the movie that they wanted to make I think it would easily have stood with maybe two yeah two I think I I think I preferred it to three Uh, even though three is a better production and it's probably more better humour in there it's it's probably funnier three three is funnier yeah well it's it's, it's, because of Richard Pryor it is more of an overt comedy yeah but I think uh, Although, although a lot of it is genuinely pretty funny yeah, like, 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 his, like his big folk cowboy hat. Yeah, and I like Pamela Stevenson's character. Oh, yeah, she's, she's, a yeah. she's very good. Um, but I, I think for it's, it's a bit of an easier watch. You know, it's shorter and it, it zips along. It, I think it, there is a point where it lags about half. Like I said, the bit where which I didn't have much time for was the, the, the double date. The double date thing, which just has no bearing on anything. And I also I think the, the film sort of struggles with not having a clear um, structure to it. In that. You're sort of more than halfway through, and there isn't a real sense of uh, what's uh, what's at stake or what's going to happen because it's it's, it's Superman dealing with nuclear weapons. Then he, he whether he does or it doesn't decide to do it, there's no um, has no impact on the story other than that. You know, it doesn't. We don't get a sense of what the stakes are if he doesn't do anything because we don't know what the political situation is in in this world. Um, so so yes, yeah, so I, I think uh, if it was rejigged a bit. I, th- I think it, it doesn't quite deserve the, the negative um, uh, legacy of it, considering it has those loftier uh, um, ambitions. And it's, there's parts which are genuinely quite fun and uh, endearing. It's an endearing film. Yeah. I mean, yeah, having bought the box set, mm. I'm proud to keep it on my shelf. Yeah. I wouldn't have Man of Steel in the house. I, I have a, uh, a, a, a steel book edition of Man of Steel, the 3D steelbook edition, yeah. which I got in an entertainment exchange for £3. And I, and I thought, you bargain. <laughs> You've been done, mate. Yeah, and I thought, I'll give it another go, um, because I had someone say, no, I had a friend that actually really liked it and thought, oh, maybe if I watched it again, sort of but no, it's just really, um, it's a very unlikable film. And I, but then I still have an urge to watch them because I, li- I like the score, the, the Hans Zimmer score I do really, really quite like and um, there's I, I appreciate certain aspects of what they were try- I, I appreciate that they were trying to be very the, the scale in which they're trying to do the action I appreciate because before it always been a bit modest but this is like full throated superhero action in, in Man of Steel I, I, I appreciate that but I, I think it's just a very hateful film and uh, it the, the character of Superman is even less defined than he is in the Christopher Reeve films, and uh, he's just motivated by. Uh, he's he, he's totally led on the leash by other characters. He has no sort of 
sense of uh, independence in terms of his, he's, he's either doing what one dad says or doing what the other dad says. And uh, oh, I don't get started. And that's all the more reason to cherish the Christopher Reeve films, I would say. Yes, especially the first one. The first one, mm-hmm. the, the original and best and classic. Yes. Thanks to Nick Drew for making the time to participate in this podcast. If you have any questions or comments for Cinema Limbo, contact us on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, or any messages for me personally, at j underscore j underscore phillips, with two L's. But until next time, remember, I can only assume you must have hidden a device of some kind on one of those missiles I hurled into the sun. Goodbye. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, edited by Martin Fenton, with music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcast Network. Come and visit us at www.podnose.com. Thank you.